I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like, I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Kittens, welcome back for round two. Yesterday was quite a marathon. We went for four hours and there were still a couple dozen of you in the queue. So I promised you we'd be back tonight. But I had to go last night because I had to wake up and go and go to Rising. Some of you might have noticed I was not, in fact, on Rising today. That's because when I took a just a precautionary COVID test uh, before I went in the next morning, it came up positive. <clears throat> so I finally succumbed to the Rona, which means I will not be going into the hill this week. But there's nothing precluding me from keeping doing these call-in shows and producing the shows for Bad Faith. So let's get to it. The person... I most wanted to see yesterday is front of the queue. I'm so glad to welcome Rika as our first caller. Rika, everybody only wanted to know what your thoughts were yesterday. And so I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. I'm dying. I'm dying. I was looking at the chat. Y'all are too much. And y'all gas me up like this. And then I get all nervous and shit. <laughs> I can't. Um, I, and it was so funny too, Brie, because I, so I saw the title and I was, I was out enjoying my life, living my best life here <laughs> in Michigan, so you know, and then I saw the title and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to skip this one. We'll, we'll set this one out. This one looks kind of cute. And then I, I went back to watch it today and I was like, oh, that was not the one to miss. Not. Um, oh, OMG. First off, hope you're feeling well. I also got Rona. Um, about like a week and a half ago. Everyone's and, getting it now. Yeah, because, well, so cases are up or you yeah. know, all that crap, mm-hmm. new strain, mm-hmm. um, and we're not ready for it. So, you know, Robbie can go ahead and take anti mask, <laughs> but you know what? It's going to spread, y'all. It's going to spread. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, hope, yeah. You feel, hope you feel better, though. Yeah, um, I do. I'm feeling much, much on the mend. Thank you. Good. Get that Paxlovid, girl. Get that Paxlovid. <laughs> um, so I God, I had so many thoughts. So my first general comment, if I may, is please, please people, do your fucking homework before you get on a podcast. <laughs> what is wrong with your what, between Steven and then there was that like other homeboy that you had was Ari, who was a journalist. I was like, y'all cannot be doing this to Brie, cannot be doing this. To I'm a Patreon subscriber. You gotta tax them. Next time I'm gonna bill them. I'm gonna bill them. That's what I'm gonna do. Look, it's but, it's on me, obviously. Like I didn't think I had to if if I tell you Hey, Rika, want to come on Bad Faith to talk about Sleepless in Seattle? I think it's pretty built into the premise that you would have watched Sleepless in Seattle, but I'm realizing that if people want me to spell it out, I'll start spelling it out. That's on me. It's ultimately on me. <laughs> yeah, but also, I just feel like it was so... I think also, to that point, too, though, there has to be 
a little bit more finesse with some folks that you that are coming on to talk about issues too i think you know i not everyone can be so savvy and like quick and flow you know you and kim are pretty um practice in that but i still feel like um you know the whole i i'm not interested in talking about this shit honey it's about you this is about you girl like well, Rika, gotta, this is what do this. i was asking you like i obviously didn't tell you guys like the purpose for which i was soliciting great trans leftists to have on the show on twitter but i was picking from y'all's list i i've like fully acknowledged like, it is hard to book i will say this it is hard Brie, to pick, I didn't book guests Brie, i did not i'm just saying I'm just, I'm, I'm just Rika, like the whole time i mean like I, look I, i'm really not trying to be disparaging to esperanza i'm really grateful that she yeah, came yeah. on and look this episode was a rorschach test a lot of people thought you know like were more found her arguments to be a lot more compelling and i, I think she made a lot of great points during the course of the the podcast yeah, so this isn't and i don't mean to diminish that in the least but there is a kind of you know, a layer of going deeper that I do wish would were able to happen. And someone like you, Rika, would have been able to do that. <laughs> no I doubt. Think, you know, I, t- I talk a big game and then I'm, I'd be like, uh, uh, next question. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, so with that, with that aside though, I have to say, um, this, I, so I want to just personally, this whole, every time, every fucking time trans issues get brought up on the hill i hold my breath and yeah. you are i think you do a good job and it have and increasingly have done even a better job you know responding to that stuff because i think you're like sitting in it you let people kind of get their yagas out and then you respond and i think that's a great great strategy is to stay like clear-headed and focused about what people are saying but i hold my breath because it is so sensational um where it's really responding to what's topical in a way that we aren't fully accessing like what the impact of all of the discourse is having on people Mm. and i think as someone who you know and then and then people are really what they're thinking about is twitter and 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 i know that you said that your co-hosts have like real trans people in their lives but i'm I'm here to tell you, if you did, you would not be saying some of the shit that you'd be saying. I'm just here to mm-hmm. say that, you know? I think Kim said that. People. I don't know that Robbie said that, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying, if you did, and, and not, I want to be clear, like, I am not, I'm so, in my life, like, I have people who use my legal name all the time. My family does. It's, it's a thing. Um, mm. does it make me feel great? No, but you deal with it. You roll with it. You know, I can't, you cannot personally, this is my personal perspective. I cannot, if I spent the world, spent all my time and I tried this once, um, it was pretty fucking exhausting trying to correct everybody's usage of both pronouns or name. I'd be dead. Let's just say that I'd be exhausted. Mm. Right. And so you can't like, I, and I, I also am not. I'm not, I'm like cis binary. I'm very like gender queer. I have no interest in medically transitioning, right? So like, I'm not, I'm not out here trying to like survive in this world in the way that a lot of other binary trans folk are, okay? Mm. So I, I think that's important to distinguish. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just out here like, y'all, we cannot let these bastards act like schoolyard bullies and pretend and, and and then let that kind of 
determine our own um, energy and calculus for how we respond to uh, these situations, right? Like we, I, I just, I feel like we are constantly being goaded to these sensational issues around people being banned from something that in my opinion shouldn't fucking exist because it's so toxic, which is Twitter. Fair enough. And, and we, we keep being like, oh, like this is the, this is the thing. And then we keep being drawn into those conversations. And so I, or I'm very sympathetic with Esperanza was like, the fuck? Like, why can't y'all get over this yet? Like, why is it that, you know, and it, what what ends up happening, what I keep seeing happening on these episodes is that um, the topic will start off as like something about free speech. And then it, but then because everyone's so unsettled with trans people or they have some baggage with trans people, whether or not it's like with trans people as a whole, the concept of trans existence or trans activists, like as people like to refer to that little niche group on Twitter as like trans activists, you know, it's like, they all, everyone has hangups and they just keep, instead of actually dealing with that issue and the topic at hand, it goes off course and they just want to spew their hangups about whatever. And I, and so that's why I hold my breath every time I hear these issues, because I I feel like it's never, like, we can't actually just have focused, poignant conversations on the question at hand, because people are using those questions to always throw down their um like things that they need to deal with in therapy you know and <laughs> and both and both in all the ways in all the fucking ways i want to be clear about that in, in every direction you know like um the conversations around um the use of the term uh people who can give birth people who have the capacity to give birth or birthing people it is it is so in like I cannot believe it has consumed the right to the degree that it has and people to the degree that it has when it is like saying, it's almost like saying people who get cysts regularly, you know what I mean? Like, it's just Mm. like the the equivalent to me is like, it's like, why, if this really works you up, then we, we have, we, you do, you need help. Actually, you actually do need to seek therapy and we probably need you to get in some real ass conversations with yourself about your own gender, actually. Like, and I think that's the other thing that I just want to comment on is that one strategy I think we need to start talking about as people who who are transgender, queer, whatever, is we need to actually acknowledge that gender is an oppressive system for everybody. Mm. Like it is. Everybody is oppressed by gender. What we're fighting for is not at least I'm not in that camp. And this is where um, I might get canceled because there'd be some um, radical feminist sympathies that I have, not the turf kind, but the radical <laughs> feminist kind. You know, our gender, gender is an oppressive category, just like race is an oppressive category. We have made meaning out of it through our ability to survive in that oppression, right? Mm-hmm. We we form community around that and, and meaningful experience because we recognize that um, the oppression that we experience binds us to people who have shared experience and we we form community around that, okay? Not that we're all sitting here mopey and dopey about our lives like that, but then we find meaning out of that. And when we choose to expand those categories, I think we're doing some amazing work around abolishing them or getting closer to abolishing them. 
but we also can invite people into the conversation and ask them to reflect on how gender is working for them, you know? And if they, if they answer like, it's great, I don't have to think about shit, then we can go on a different conversation be like, okay, that's interesting. Here's what it's like for me. You know, I just, I think there are the ways that we can invite people into this conversation are, are plentiful. I think there was a lot of, I listened to the debrief and I was, and there was a lot of people like, how do we, how do we get people to like, um, come into this conversation or like, you know, address people to like, especially like leftists to not, um, you know, be so kind of assumptive or whatever. And I, I just, I, I think part of what we need to do collectively is take a big fucking deep breath and and really sit with ourselves and ask why we're so hung up on some of this stuff, right? Because our reactions are like that Berkeley professor when she was reacting to that, it I get why she was doing it because she she could see the terrain. You know, she was like she she I've been in that situation where you're like, "Oh, you're not a good faith actor. I know where you're coming from and I'm not about to let my people down or the people that I love and care about down in this moment." And she was probably like freaking out because she was center stage and didn't want to fuck this up for people. Right. For so sure. I get it. I get it. And, and the reality is, is like, take a deep breath, you know, like Josh Hawley isn't God. He's not, he's not, he's a <laughs> punk ass bitch. And, and we, we are, you know, I, I we don't need to like, feed that beast any more than what we've given it i don't know i i guess so so let's let's use that example then because i wanted to bring this up when you said something earlier when you're talking about rising and in the you were you were you were basically saying you know why do we keep talking about this when there's all all these other substantive topics and that was something that you know esperanza also brought up obviously my selfish perspective is i'm on rising i'm not able to downvote these topics you know i can propose alternative topics but I can't downvote topics, especially when, you know, the producers are motivated to a significant degree by clicks and they know that these kinds of topics are going to get clicks. So if someone else suggests it, suggests it it's probably going to go on. So I'm interested. I, I'm, I will admit to being personally less interested in the question of, you know, how to avoid this topic, how to not bring up this topic, because I'm in and I have to talk about it regardless. And I'm trying yeah, to yeah. figure out what the compensatory yeah. mechanism is once I'm in the thick of it. <clears throat> And that's also true for the Berkeley professor, right? Like someone had to give the testimony or whatever the context was. Somebody had to be there to give the counter Josh Hawley argument. So somebody somewhere needs talking points about how to get through these situations, even though I think we all agree we'd rather be talking about something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since Republicans know, like they're very purposefully, you know, ginning up these topics because they know how it's going to go and they know they've, right. they've identified some vulnerabilities about how the left is responding. And one of the things that people came up with last night that I thought was very interesting was that there's a certain aspect of the kind of fight for trans equality that differs arguably from the gay rights fight of the kind of aughts and early late nineties, early aughts, the will and grace period, as I'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> Because they, they argue that, or they put forward as a possibility that there's an extent to which the trans movement is arguing for renegotiation of how cis people are identifying. That's right. Not, okay. That's right. Yeah. And, and so people feel that's where you get this turfiness, this, well, but I am a woman and, you know, you can't change my category and blah, blah, blah. And all of that, all of that kind of a lingo. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, that's what you you could argue is at the root of some of the concern about all of the, you know, chest feeding, birthing person stuff, because people are like, well, aren't I just a woman? Aren't well, I just a mother? Aren't I just a person with boobs? And that's, yeah. that's not an argument against doing it. That's just, you know, an effort someone put forward to try to explain why there is this particular dissonance among people. How does how does that grab you that explanation? No, I think I mean so let me let me I should be clear. I think I'm I in in this conversation, you know how you like to say you like to work it out live. I think I'm working it out live mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. a little bit how I'm feeling about this. So I am I am not saying that there isn't a threat to the status quo that is irking people. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I think our our not it's not simply our existence but the ways we push back on these rigid categories and how people have traditionally perceived them is really, really fucking with people's worldview. And it's revealing that they're really hung up on that. Right. Mm-hmm. That there's, and there's a lot of meaning in that. And I think that's true. I think it's true. Um, I, and I think it, it, I think it's what's important though, is I, we are in a, in a way there was a way that things were being conflated. Like, Kim Iverson was having a very personal reaction. It was very clear that she had a personal reaction to the 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 response she got. Okay, like mm-hmm. and was sharing that. Cool, because you're all there to talk about pill. And then what Esperanza was also trying to get at was like, in a way where I could feel it was like it was like, can we depersonalize this a little bit and talk about? your actions and some of the, and how it's tied to some of this other stuff, right? You know, and the segments and like what's happening. So I feel like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I struggle, what I'm struggling with is um, you're right. There is a need to have people who are competent, prepared with talking points, ready to go. And that that's where your comms brains coming through. And I appreciate that perspective. And I also think like we do just need a little bit more venues for for people just to start unpacking some of their own confusion without the threat or fear that like the there's political stakes, right? Mm. Or that so the you know idea. I mean? So where can, where can Kim go to work this out with it's, Esperanza in private? That's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. Or or like you know, someone brought up in the debrief about the Oprah effect. The mm-hmm. reason why Oprah was so fucking powerful is because those conversations were happening publicly and everyone knew that's the kind of conversations they were having. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Even but that's the thing. Was- I, I mean, that's what I would like. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm Oprah. I'm just saying that <laughs> I would like for people to feel comfortable, you know, to come on the show and do this kind of thing. But the world we live in, honestly, I don't know if Oprah could be Oprah in the world we live in, where it could be clipped on the internet and people could be dragging people for film. You're because- right. And I... Yeah, because I, I, I look, I, I, yeah. I, I brought them on in part because I felt like people were talking past each other around the rising clip, and I was a little frustrated that it, I also felt that way during the bad faith episode, and there was nothing I could do to <laughs> kind of right the ship. I felt like to the extent that there were things that Kim said that I agreed with, she wasn't necessarily making the case I would make in favor of those things. Right. And to the extent that I was agreeing right. with Esperanza, Esperanza was also not making the case I would make in favor of those things. Same, same. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, I was agreeing with both a little bit, disagreeing with both a little bit, but completely disagreeing with how both were presenting their arguments, which is a yeah. weird feeling to be in the middle of without completely commandeering the entire episode. <laughs> you just no, kind of got to no. let it, the chips fall where they may. 
But it was interesting to me because with Esperanza, I guess what I wanted, what I expected, I should say from her, and she has no obligation, obviously, to align with my with my desires. Um, but I guess I was fundamentally, and this is something that Kim got in trouble for saying. And let's ask let's ask you about this, Rika. Kim got Kim got a lot of pushback for saying, "You need me." Again, I would not have put it that way. Yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> However, it does feel to me like there's a, a kernel of truth to this broader concern that people have articulated that there is a style of argumentation that comes from some corners of the activist trans community that people find to be alienating and does not seem to be seeking membership to the coalition. Yeah. And th- it comes back to this definition of woke that we talked about in that earlier episode with uh Freddie DeBoer and um mm-hmm. I- Irami. Yeah. Which which is that there's nothing wrong with being woke except for the part of the definition that is you presuming you already know. Presuming you mm-hmm. already get it. And yep. I do feel like sometimes with these issues there is the presumption that the the person who makes the honest mistake and the person who makes uh, a transphobic remark are conflated in that way that like Aziz Ansari and uh you know, Weinstein were conflated at a certain point at the height of the Me Too movement. And when there's that kind of failure to tease apart people's kind of motives and intent and people really trying to find their way, what you get is a bunch of people saying, well, let's just shut this whole thing down. I don't believe in Me Too, whatever. No, obviously there are a lot of guys who just don't believe in Me Too because they're creeps. <laughs> right. And, and they don't want to yeah. be culpable. I mean, a lot of people who yeah. are, have no interest in our bad faith actors and never had any interest in having any kind of solidarity with trans people. Obviously. But it also does seem to me that in a world where, you know, I have seen a lot of people get called a transphobe for maybe, I don't know, it's transphobic, but I'm, who's, who am I to say? But in the same way that I see people throwing racism around a lot, and I would privately say, like, everybody's racist, I, but those people are probably racist in my eye, I would not call them that for, in the sake of trying to get them to understand me. I, I just use the term more judiciously. And it's not for me to sit here and tell trans people to use the term more judiciously. But I do see a certain approach to things causing folks to feel like, well, fuck it. I'll just not talk about it anymore. And that's the best they can do with their allyship is to shrink away <laughs> and just never, yeah. never engage in any conversation about trans issues. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this reminds me. I, I will, um, So I think. Let me let me just back up for a second. So you talk about the '90s and the aughts a little bit, mm-hmm. and I was I remember even with all of the you know representation of things related to different sitcoms or series or movies that would you know Disney fired like had that Disney like approach around hot topic issues that mm-hmm. it was incredibly incredibly difficult to even mention the word racism. Mm-hmm. or homophobia lest you receive a reaction and be targeted as the person who was making the situation or racist or homophobic mm-hmm. by even bringing it up do you know what i mean like there mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. was an error and then i feel like i think we all and me i'll speak for myself i then did go away to college yes a small private liberal arts college in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> and I found my people and my tribe. And then I also found out that I wasn't crazy, that this world is that racist and homophobic mm-hmm. and et cetera. Right. Um, 
And I found confidence in being able to be like, actually, that's not okay. This is not okay. And I do not want to be treated like this. And I don't want you to treat other people like this. And I don't think it's appropriate to say these things. And I will not condone that. And I think what we have often is people who find the and the resoluteness to stand and say, I'm actually not going to tolerate being being not just miffed, but complicit in what I think is really fucked up behavior. And it comes, and then they, with anything like scenting of that, right, um, as being that, that reminiscent of that thing, okay, of, of mm-hmm. the oppressive kind of structure. And I, so I, I'm very sympathetic to people feeling like they, those words are powerful and being able to name their situation and to name it clearly and to be able to be unafraid and unapologetic about naming that situation um, so they can articulate a reality um, that is often denied and almost like looked over as if it doesn't exist and or as if the impact is minimal. Where at the same time, I absolutely agree with you, Brianna, that there is obviously both not only an overreach sometimes in the articulation of that and the framing of that or the response to that but the way in defensive posture that gets brought up um especially when that's those words are used with people who are making a genuine effort is and can be alienating i think um i do think there is a way in which the twitter sphere Mm-hmm. Um, people are so plugged into it as if it represents, um, it is like it's emblematic or representative of um, how our communities truly operate. And while I'm not saying that those elements aren't present, because they are, especially when you're in organizing spaces where the, um, um, that, the, you know, there's like hypervigilance tends to predominate because you're all coming at this with like this, like, not, it's not zealotry. It's like this, like um, sense of justice. You, you're eager. There's an eagerness mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. wanting a better world, right? So everyone's like hyped and ready to pursue it, and and we also are aware of how people try to undermine it. So I get that, but I do think that the Twitter, the Twitter reactions or responses, in my opinion, do not represent the ways that my community are trying desperately to both acknowledge and name the realities we are experiencing and also how we how we connect with people who we are harmed by you know see i believe that i believe that but that's why it's so frustrating when all the people who are public facing seem to have a very different approach than everybody that i'm speaking to in this colin app for instance and yeah. I know, like, whatever, that's a select, it's a selection of people who already, like, like me <laughs> and follow me. So, I mean, everyone, you know, like, this isn't, like, just, like, a free zone where everyone, you know, like, I'm just, like, cherry picking off the street or whatever. But I, I, I does, that is exactly what's so frustrating. And, again, I, I only have what I have. And the analogy that I keep making is to, you know, the black public sphere and I, I yeah. know it is the case that the people who represent black people both from the establishment side in terms of elected politicians and from the activist community in terms of these like Black Lives Matter uh, group frauds, 
like national group frauds, not the actual organizers, but you know, the choose colors and all of them, like they never represented my interest. They go out there, they right. say wacky shit <laughs> that makes right. black people look crazy and had squandered all of the goodwill that was there after George Floyd's tragic murder. And so it does see, it does feel to me, it's, it's not at all a critique of what like the broader trans community is doing. I think it actually depressingly has very little to do with the actual trans community. It, yeah. it does feel to me like, like the same thing is happening and whether purposefully because like big brother is placing ops everywhere <laughs> or just by accident, yeah. because people like, like I said last night, good faith, liberals, good faith, black liberals, good faith, white liberals, you know, they go off, we all go off to our small liberal arts colleges, learn a bunch of things that are very validating to our experiences and which are true. But then yes. we take that stuff into the world and a lot of people hear that stuff and misapply it, use words that they don't know what they mean, use them in crazy contexts, think they're doing the most by making a maximalist argument. And then ultimately you find yourself one day on TV, <clears throat> you know, shouting at Josh Halley saying you're causing trans people to die and he's making a joke of it. Because right. to the common observer, obviously, Josh Halley sitting behind a dais on C-SPAN isn't causing anybody to die. Like, that's yeah. the perception. And, like, how how to deal with that, how to deal with the fact that I, like, I think back to the, the Dave Chappelle thing, which for me got colored by the fact that the mm -hmm. woman leading it was that woman who was doing all that anti-Asian shit on <laughs> Twitter during the warning yeah. campaign. I was like, she yeah. looks awfully familiar. And it was her. Who got dumped from the warring campaign for not being able to stop about stop talking about Asian people and people's English skills on Twitter? Yeah, <laughs> I, no, you're. I I think I think you're right. We I I think we have had quite a couple of years of like really unfortunate public issues where and like really unfortunate responses, and then it doesn't help that you know when any any remote famous people who are trans are just like really often shitty representatives um, or are quite frankly, not really attached politically to anything meaningful for organizing on, uh, within trans community. They're mostly just getting money and calling it a day. So I feel like I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'm also just like, so when I think about when I watch um, like the, or watch the episode, you know, that unfolded in the conversation between Kim and Esperanza. My reaction was, I just to really just be like, oh, th while this conversation is important, this is not the only conversation. Mm. I, you know, this is also, what's also really important for me as someone who is implicated to varying degrees by what's being discussed here um, is to know that like, I have, I have my people that I roll with. I have my community that I roll with and I have my my own principles and my own sense of like where I fit in this work. And mm. so I'm not deterred by, I'm personally not like deterred by Berkeley professor Kim or Esperanza's efforts to, you know, organize because that isn't, the sphere that's not the actual that's not the sphere in which i'm actually organizing if that makes sense you know what i mean like i like i guess that's what gives me my perspective is like that is over there and i'm over here i'm with my crew of people in my relationships and we're doing what we can and that's what i have control over um am i uh, upset 
by emotionally by like what I see as like a quote unquote, you know, lack um, or not as great of a conversation as I would have liked. Sure. But like, I, you know, I also, there's amazing books by trans authors that I have read, you know, there's amazing clips um, with like Janet Mock, who is clapping back at Piers Morgan in a brilliant way. You know what I mean? There's just like, mm-hmm. there, is, there are other points for me, if I'm looking for like inspiration, deep dive or whatever, right? I have those resources. I have access to them. And I also have real, pe- real ass people in my life that I can go turn to and unpack this shit with. And I think what I would encourage people to do is to really like, really, really take the time and go and build relationships with real ass human beings, <laughs> you know, like really do that because like, and I'm not saying that everyone can have access to a trans person and they're, you know, whatever, but I get it. I get it. I get it. I get but it. Esperanza, you know, but, but, but Rika, the thing about Esperanza was this. She's going to be, I mean, like, this isn't like Kristen, but like whoever, whatever interlocutor isn't floating your boat, maybe, you know, yeah. Esperanza was good, but. I was, you're saying Janet Mock, but honestly, if Janet Mock were in that conversation with Kim, I'm not sure how that would have gone. No, oh, let me be clear. I don't, I don't, I don't think Janet Mock is the person. I, I'm not saying that. I mean, I saying, would love for my hair to look like hers. Right, and, I, and that's it. My, I would love that. Everything. Yes, right. I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not saying <clears> that, like, or even, like, God forbid, like, Chad Bono tried to speak on anything. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not. I am not. But that, but that's that exactly right there is the problem, Rika. Like it for me, it is not okay for me that there are so many black people out there that are saying dumb shit that's messing my my vibe up. And that is yeah. literally why I got into journalism. Is that like yeah. at the time, like remember how the world has changed in even the last 5 years. At the time, yeah. Gawker and all these sites, Jezebel, BuzzFeed we're pushing out all of these articles oh, with these quick, hot, pop culture, woke takes about everything that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Let me tell you, when I was a lawyer back in like 2016, I would come to work every day and load up BuzzFeed. <laughs> I would ch- check BuzzFeed, Gawker, and yeah, New York yeah. Magazine. And I would read them cover to cover <laughs> before I would start work. I'm sorry, law firm. <laughs> okay, and it was nonstop hot takes. Before I got on Twitter, I was the queen of the Jezebel comment section. I was famous on Jezebel. I'll have you guys all know. And I had to leave that behind because I was logged in on my work computer at the computer that I worked at from like, 2013 2014 and i went to it when i went to my new firm i had to leave it all behind and it was very dramatic for me but at the time i had like a following in the comment section (laughs) 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 that's how into that shit i was and there was so much of it that i enjoyed because i was like more like woke back then but there was so much of it that even Mm -hmm. then i could feel was dissonant weird takes about weird stuff that felt like an overreach and i could see on the internet that once i got on twitter in like 2000 and 15, 16, I, I, I could see how all that stuff was being taken up by people who didn't already agree. And that, I think yeah. that, that's the difference between me and a lot of other people, even on the left. I will admit to caring about those who don't already agree with me. In fact, that's my preoccupation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my literal yeah. occupation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I, like when, when Esperanza is saying, I, you know, we don't need you. Like, I get it. You don't literally need Kim. You don't. But, 
Kim is a nothing in terms of a platform. And Kim seems like a kind of an easy get from my perspective. There was a world, I was thinking to myself, maybe I should have interviewed Kim alone. I thought this, I thought mm-hmm. this. Maybe mm-hmm. I should have interviewed Kim alone. Then I can make mm-hmm. the Esperanza arguments. Kim's mm-hmm. going to make the Kim arguments. I won't have to like be trying to clarify the Kim arguments because I feel Esperanza is not really engaging with them. And I can spend my time just fully pressing Kim on every aspect of what went down in the Hill clip. Yeah. I can say, I agree with you here, but this is where you go awry. Right. And da, right. Da, da, da. But I would have gotten the criticism and we know that I would have, and perhaps rightly so that I should have had a trans person. Involved. We're the trans people. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm going to be honest with you right now. The reason why sometimes I don't get a trans person involved is because it's hard to find the right kind of guest who's going to be able to roll with the punches the way that we want for the kind of episodes that we have on bad faith. And it's you. not because of yeah. they're trans. It's because it's the same when I'm trying to find a black guest. We all remember when yeah. I had Martin Luther King, the third on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't exactly inspiring us, okay? There's a certain kind of, but I happen to be black and I'm in the thick of it and I know who's what. You know what I mean? I can find the people who are operating on our res, on our on our frequency. I'm yeah. still trying to sort out who those people are in the trans community. That's why I asked you guys for a list, and whichever of y'all, several of y'all suggested Esperanza so you can't be mad at it and I've heard her be very compelling on other people's shows people said they really loved her and Katie Halper and a lot of people really loved her on this episode as well yeah and I think I think she I I don't I think the thing was not some of what I was some of what she argument she was making I was like I was cringing at like the I do think it should be a no-brainer around free speech if you're a leftist like that should be Mm -hmm. that's kind of like like you know the lines of between left and right it should be like free speech and anti-capitalism like that's the lot you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. pretty pretty clear so i get that um and especially as someone who is like you know she's talking about being in labor organizing and like doing all this shit. i'm like girl you you were talking about corporate overlords like we do not want to see that to them at all like period right. point blank period you know so right. i i get that but i also think um i just i just think that the conversation where it was like kind of going off the rails, like to the point was like, Kim would make a comment like that, which was very arrogant. I'm going to be straight. Like Mm -hmm. you need me. And it's like, I, I even said out loud, I was like, bitch, no, we don't. I said, (laughs) no, we do not. But I know what she's saying, which is right. Numerically speaking and power. If you do like a power analysis, you do need cis people involved. Now, is it Kim Iverson? No, honey. No, I don't think I don't think it's you specifically. You know? Okay, Rika, I, but I'm also gonna say Kim. Kim. Kim has a huge platform, and I, it kills like me. Like, I, I know it's not. Look, it's it's not your job yeah. to get Kim on board. I'll get Kim. Yeah, I'll yeah. talk to yeah. Kim. Yeah, yeah. I'll work on Kim, but also low key. There's, you know, there are a lot of people on the internet right now saying they don't need me either, and that's fine. Like, it's not going to deter me. No, 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 no. We need you. I'll come for you. <laughs> I'll come for you. But like, it does, it does feel like you know, there's a little bit of, a, and again, black people do this too. Oh, I need to organize you. Blah, blah blah. It's just, it seems so self defeating. It seems so self defeating. And Kim is not okay. But, Kim, transphobe, not transphobe. Kim is. Here, here's what it is fundamentally for me. I, again, think everybody is racist. (laughs) However, if you're out here advocating for, you know, voting access laws to be passed, if you're supporting reparations, if you're 
fighting against the police and fighting for criminal justice reform and you're fighting for canceling student debt. Am I going to spend my time and energy calling you anti-black? No, <laughs> you're, you're doing everything I need you to do. Go forth. <laughs> right. You have my blessing. And that's, that is what Kim's fundamental point was. And I know that she's not just a neutral person. She's also saying things that regardless of her intent, other people are picking up and making them feel empowered to be actually trans, like affirmatively transphobic and not support all those things that Kim supports. Right. And I, I want to be clear, like, when I think of my, my reaction as being a little off the cuff, and like if, you know, if I were seriously in organizing in media and I was like, how are we getting our quote unquote trans agenda out there, right? Like, you know, I'd be like, maybe maybe we should tap on Kim because independent media is rocking right now and she clearly mm-hmm. has all these followers, right? So of course she would probably fall on our side. I, my reaction is more of the, the lack of humility um, from her perspective, as someone who is who she purports, apparently per this podcast episode, that she has been involved with movement organizing work, right? Like mm-hmm. that would not, like you said, that would not be my response. That would not be. I would not be giving any. You don't give people if you're not rolling with them. You're not giving them advice. You don't do that, right? Like if you're not rolling with people, you mind your p's and q's, focus on your own shit because they might have a particular angle. Now you might, you could maybe like pull them aside and be like, hey, just some feedback. Like, this is how this is coming off. You know, we got a relationship here and just want to know if this is like what's going down and it's how it's affecting everybody else over here. Like, you know, but the way she came on it, I was like, you're not, you're not in relationship with Esperanza to come at her like that or to even throw it out there like that, you know? And I think that's the thing is like, I, when I think of organizing, it is so relationship-based like that. Like, if I were to hear someone tell me about what would have been better strategy and you're not involved with what I'm doing, you're not involved, you're not connected to me at all in any way, shape or form. It's just going to fall on deaf fucking ears because I'm just like, who, who the hell is you? You know, like, what? like I, what, what I, I get that from? Rika, but that also, it seems to me to be that if it's not a wrong argument and it's not a wrong way to approach human relationships. And that's a very, understandable human response but it also is at the end of the day you know a, a kind of an emotional an emotional response that's not to say it's a bad Fair. response Fair. but Fair. it is like Fair. you know we, we and this we do that we negotiate this in our relationships all the time every day right. there's right. a way that we hold on to things and we're like well i gotta get mine you know like i cleaned the dishes yesterday and so i'm not gonna like we <laughs> we hold on to this stuff right but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean You're it's right. going to be the You're best right. outcome for the household. Like sometimes yeah. you just got to buck up and not hold on to those resentments, especially when it's Esperanza's community, not Kim's community. That's the vulnerable one right. that's, that's I, at stake here in this relationship. Yeah. It sucks yeah. to have to say this, but at the end of the day, if Kim walks off, it's no skin off Kim's back. If Kim decides, I don't fuck it. I'm not going to be a trans ally. We can all sit here and call her a transphobe and say, Oh, well, you weren't a real ally to begin with. And meanwhile, she's off skipping them through the flowers, enjoying her life in L.A., not giving a shit. <laughs> right. And I, I, I get that. I guess I, I, what I'm saying, though, is like we or the, the piece of me that's sympathetic to what Esperanza said mm-hmm. was. And you even said this earlier is like, is that that equation around our measuring out who's really worth it, who's mm-hmm. not right, both in terms of like an actual political project, et cetera. 
and then or a campaign or whatever and then also who your your own personal time and energy right if you know and esperanza thought it was worth her time and energy to go on that your your podcast so i think Mm -hmm. there should have been a different calculation there you know Mm -hmm. but i do think that like i i what i appreciated with esperanza was doing in that moment was saying what I felt like she was saying was, I, I know you think you have power, but we also have power. And I want to let you know that I'm sitting in my power in this moment, too. Well, so let me ask you this, then, Rika. <clears throat> what do you make of, it's been quite a week for trans stuff in terms of in very public media outlets. It seems like a oh, ratcheting really? up, you know, between the time between the New York Times turf article and the Josh Howley colloquy feels like every other day there's something and it just feels like open season in the, in, in the liberal sphere. The like, New York Times thing scared me so much because it wasn't just that it's in the liberal paper of record. It was that the comment section was broadly agreeing with the, with the article. The comment section yeah. was very supportive of the article. Yeah. Which suggests to me that there's a lot of I don't mean to call them Kims, but, you know, based on the comments of that article, Kim is far, 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 far to the left of the average New York Times reader when it comes to trans issues. Yeah. Which is scary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that resonated to me is when if, if it's not that I'm disagreeing with anybody's choice of how to frame anybody's arguments or how they feel about a person. If they feel they're transphobic, they feel they're a bigot, whatever. But, like, what does it mean? What's the situation? What's the status of the movement? What's the vulnerability of the community? If Kim is the focus of that, that label, if Kim mm-hmm. is the focus of that, of that much ire, if there's no such thing as calling in versus calling out, even if it's someone like Kim, when you've got the full-on New York Times basically saying, it's turf season, baby. Mm-hmm. That that's I, that's what concerns me. Yeah, yeah. Because in the nineties, it felt like we were winning. That was the difference. Also, it felt like okay, we've got the Will and Grace seasons on. Some stuff is happening. There's homophobes, but when shit went down, there was a reliable response. At least in the pages of the New York Times. At least in a city like New York City. Well, I also think I also think you know there were a lot of queer or gay people who were in probably in strategic places in that those areas of media that were able to kind of really help with the narrative building around that, you know? And I think like that, mm. that seems very, very probably different. I mean, to some extent, like we know we had things like Pose and there's all these series that came out, right? Around representation and stuff like that. That, mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a, a little bit of a backlash to what was really a heavy, heavy kind of positive, or somewhat more positive portrayal of trans folk in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go to your thing about like, you know, it is scary out here. You're right. And we are really being used as fodder for whipping up that fascist energy in the, in our country. And I get it. Um, and I hear it. And I think to, I, I person personally, I I'm in, this is not speaking about like movement stuff, the, the thing that I, I just, I personally have to like slow down and, and just like almost accept that I have to start 
at school, like zero with people, you know, mm. and, you know, assume that people don't literally know jack squad ab about shit about anything and not even just that but that like i can't um like i don't disclose to everyone like mm -hmm. i just don't you know mm -hmm. and in every circumstance because you don't know what that's gonna cost you. you know i'm out here looking at apartments in san diego and i am you bet your friggin' ass i'm using my legal name because they're gonna do a credit check and all this shit you know mm -hmm. you, you don't you don't you know you don't know you just don't mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. so like i we have to, I think we all navigate and survive these, this, this, um, this, a violent atmosphere. We'll just say that, um, even if it isn't, uh, the most extreme of it. Right. But I, I guess what I'm just saying is that, um, I, I understand Kim is not the enemy. I get that. And I think a lot of trans people understand that. I think what's hard and difficult is, when we are also being honest with people about what their actions or behavior are doing or facilitating and then people want to say um i'm not afraid of trans people that's a literal death. well it's like well okay <laughs> so then what do you want now you know what i mean like you want you want me to give you like you want me to take you all in but then you don't want to know it's like, it's almost like you really don't want to be in relationship with us in, in the way that you're purporting it to be then. You know what I mean? So I think there's just a la layer. We have to be, we can be, I believe we can be clear-eyed about um, the advancement of uh, right-wing extremism and in particular how it's captivating um, cis women of a radical feminist bent who are kind of finding an allegiance with um, fascists in this time. And we can be clear about that, that that's happening and also um, still hold people accountable in a way that doesn't, you know, betray also the fact that like, there, there are things that are gonna have a negative impact on us as trans people. So I'm just not, I think that there's accountability for, for Kim and I think there's space for Kim to also reflect on like, if she isn't, if it is no skin off her back, right? And she's just being mildly irritated by being called a transphobe, then what is it to her then to actually just take a beat and really reflect on what, where that's really coming from? Like, what would she actually lose then? Well, you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday and I'm, a, I'm of two minds about this. I do sometimes, I think, activists across all the activist communities, look, we know how this game goes. Someone does something bigoted, you call them out for their bigotry, and they say that you calling them out for their bigotry is the real harm. Because that's right, a pattern exactly. that exists in the world, because that's a pattern that exists in the world, people are very, people. I think that the pendulum has swung a little bit weirdly in the other direction where activists woke leftists, whatever you want to call us, we will sometimes say it is not hurtful to call, you know, it's not a slur to say that someone's a bigot, a racist, a homophobe, right. or whatever. And as we worked through last night, I do believe it's a slur. It can also be accurate. But if I call you a racist, it is, I'm not calling it to you because it's a good thing. <laughs> right. And right. I think, you know, I don't think that we need to deny that it is, it is hurtful to people who don't self-identify as bigots. 
to be called that. That's not a reason not to call him that. Yeah, I'm not but, really quite sure who identifies as a. Well, <laughs> well I mean, there are like there are like uh, proud white supremacists. Like there are yeah, people yeah, who are like yeah, fuck yeah, yeah, go white power or whatever. Right, but for sure, for sure. you know, but most people don't see themselves as racist, and I think that that's a good thing. That's an opportunity for us. To help them understand, well, if you don't want to be this, then and, and so we don't want to to lose this power. We the, you want it to be a slur. You want it to be hurtful. If it's not hurtful, and that person is truly beyond saving, <laughs> right? Right. So, and I do think there's a thing where, you know, I do think it's a thing where sometimes people escalate with the labels, even if they're true. Like I said, I do think that the labels apply to a lot of folks just because we live in a biased society and we're all just trying to wrestle with our biases all the time. But yeah. even if the label is true, I do think that sometimes people throw it around in a way that is intended more to hurt than to be descriptive, even if it is also descriptive. I do think that that happens. I do. And yeah. I think that that is not a good thing because ultimately it empowers the people who say, oh, I shouldn't really even pay attention to your claim of racism. I shouldn't even pay attention to your claim of bigotry because you're just trying to, you're just trying to shut me up, trying to shut me down. And this is what Tucker Carlson says on his show every night. Oh, they're going to call me racist because they just don't want you to hear what I have to say. And they're threatened by me. Right. Yeah. He's, he's inoculating his audience to, um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. And I, and I get it. I, 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 and I want to be clear too. And I know that I've been talking a lot, so I will wrap this up here and providing my commentary, but, or reactions, but I'm not saying that I, you know, I actually believe or agree with Esperanza's characterization of everything that like Kim has said as being transphobic. I actually don't. Um, I, what I'm really, what we're, because we're talking about these dynamics, right? This conversation Mm -hmm. is emblematic of a dynamic. And, and I think um, like if I'm sitting in a organization, a collective with people and that shit pops off, right. And we've Mm -hmm. been rolling deep for a minute and people are being called in, called out, however the fuck you want to call it, you know, there, there are ways in which I approach that person differently because we are in, we are in relationship and in struggle together. Mm-hmm. When I'm, when I am focusing on my target, my to, um, or d- that we're doing a direct action on and I'm calling them a racist transphobe and I'm rallying, like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not looking to kumbaya with them. I am looking to like rally the troops, right? You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I get it. And the fundamental question is whether or not you see Kim as a troop or not, as a exactly. as, as someone worthy right. to be, who it's useful. I should say it's useful to try to recruit. Yes, yes, and that, but to and to me personally, like that. Well, not personally, but I guess um, that calculus is like I don't. How do I say this? Like, maybe maybe I'm not a real organizer, a little, but I don't go around every. I don't go shopping in Kroger thinking I'm about to turn everyone into the trans cause. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't go. I don't listen to your podcast thinking that everyone is is um er, er, like uh, every guest you have is gonna be the next best ally and we should get them and we you know what i mean so i guess there is like a there is a calculus 
I think Esperanza, you know, clearly didn't know Kem or doesn't like have a relationship with Kem. Mm-hmm. And, she and I don't, just, I don't really know, you know her either, to be honest. I, we haven't had any interaction off the show and I was thinking that while we were recording, like if we had had one night having drinks together before this and also one night having drinks with Esperanza before this, before I moderated this, it would have been a very different kind of an episode. Right. And Brie, you're, so where I think you are brilliant is like, you're really good at thinking about audiences that do not have the type of deep relationships that are ultimately ideal for organizing work. Right. Like you, Mm -hmm. you you know, you really, when you were doing that organizing work, when we were, when we're rolling deep with people, we, we want to be able to know what people really, really care about, how their lives are deeply impacted by things. We know maybe their children and how they're impacted by this, the oppression, whatever, you know, like that's how deep we want to go with people as much Mm -hmm. as we can. Right. You're working at a level where you're like, you have these relationships with people, but there is still distance. You may, you know, and, and I, and I think you are, offering wise advice around how to operate perhaps at that level in a public sphere. I just also think that a lot of those people, like a lot of activists or organizers that you get in, they're not practiced in that. They're not, they're, they're operating at a different level, which is why I think there was that disconnect with how Esperanza was reacting to Kim. Right. Mm. Like I, when I was watching Esperanza, I was like, I know you girl, I know you, I know we like, I don't know her personally, but I've seen, like the way she is was responding to Kim mm-hmm. was like we were in a uh, lefty meeting that was organized off a of signal, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it was like I was like yes, yes, and this makes sense. But you're not in that space, girl. You're not, and yeah. we got to just learn better how to shift and adapt. And I just think there's room. There's just room. There is room for all of that, and we just got to know time and place. That's all. Yeah, I think you're right. It's so funny because I, I gotta, you know, every, I gotta move on to different subjects every week, blah, 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 blah. But there's a world where <laughs> the next episode is me one on one with Kim. The next episode is me one on one with Esperanza. My next yeah. episode is me, Esperanza, and two other trans activists. And then the next episode yeah. is me, Kim, and two, and the whole gang together. And like, we really like, keep doing it <laughs> mm-hmm. until we get where we need to be. And in between there's like reading assignments assigned. And I'm like, Esperanza, give Kim three articles to read. Kim, <laughs> give, right. You know, Kim, yeah. give Esperanza a radar that you think encapsulates your frustrations with X, Y, and Z. And then we'll come to yeah. the table, yeah. you know, in good faith, like you, we're going to yeah. come to the table in good faith. Like no matter how cringy you think Kim's statements are, you're going to answer them as though she's genuinely asking why she can't say whatever she wants to say or whatever it is you know and i think that that, it would take like a month (laughs) but it would feel like something but and that brie like to me when esperanza was like the organizing work and how it happens and stuff like that that is it that is that is the deep organizing work right like that is the political education the relationship building like and i think that is a worthwhile thing to do i hope you do do that it may not be ideal for um, a that your next bad faith episode necessarily, <laughs> but I think you know. I think I also think like um, I just appreciate you. I just want to say this, and then I'll let, uh, let someone else talk. But I just I do appreciate you wading into these waters and trying to bring people together to have those conversations that you seek. And I am I am hopeful 
that you will find that way to, you know, figure it out and structure it. And I'm also hopeful that you'll get some damn people on who will be prepared to answer some goddamn questions. <laughs> Look, I'm going to start including a writer in my right. <laughs> producer like notes i'm gonna give armand like look armand you got to send everybody like all caps at the top like please review all relevant materials before <laughs> coming on the podcast that's ultimately at the captain is in control of the ship that's ultimately on me anyway thank you so much for spending so much time with me and being first in line rika i mean i was gonna find you wherever you were in the queue but i see you <laughs> i appreciate you brie you have a good night feel better have a good night thank you keep the faith all right, Michael, I'm going to go to you. I, I think you were at the front of the queue last time when we were logging off. How are you doing? Unmute meet yourself. What's on your mind? <clears throat> hey, hey, Bree. Uh, I'm doing great. I actually don't think I jumped in li- uh, yeah, last night. I was in the chat a lot, though. Oh, okay. Um, I'm lying then. What's, what's no, 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 what you thinking about this evening? Um, so many things. Uh, one shout out, Riri. No Fenty. Blessed it as always. <laughs> really, really. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like the love is building for for an official bad pay, bad pay episode <laughs> with you, but um, nonetheless, the consensus has uh, been formed on that. I think, <laughs> like, I, you know, what I'm saying, like, I, you know, the um, non-calling people might be a little bit confused, but we'll catch them up. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. They'll get hit. Um, also, for the record, this is our metaphorical proverbial, uh, or rather, my metaphorical proverbial third date with the calling app so this is where i put my cards on the table i give you real me i give you my background so uh if there's random disclaimers here and out uh i'm trying not to be too quote-unquote essentialist and just like you know be real okay um literally retweet to everything that you and rico were just talking about um in including the nuance there in um that like completely want to give esperanza her flowers and um for not only like you know uh, clear issues established um you know being in the situation where you sort of feel or or maybe she could have felt a degree of lack of preparedness but also simultaneously like not sort of knowing where you brie were on certain topics Mm -hmm. because of how she was presenting things to like still be in that space and know that you're on the record and be like well, no, I'm going to stand here and, and like describe what transphobia is to me or or specify like, OK, yeah. And, and, you know, yes, I still you know think that this may be what transphobia is, but I like to use the term transmisogyny because it relates to the violence. Right. Um, or like those, those sort of sort of intercuts that I think were very valuable. And I just know I didn't really like declare that in the chat as much last night. So mm. I want to just put that for the record mm. and for Esperanza. So like I see you, we see you mm. grateful and, and appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think generally, right, from where I'm sitting, 22 years old, you know, couple months out from finishing my bachelor degree at a liberal college. And <laughs> Congratulations. Um, you know, thanks. Thanks so much. Um, that I fully can say I have been Esperanza. I was in those sorts of Zoom calls and in that kind of like public moment space in 2020 even like fresh off of, you know, grief and personal loss. I lost my father very suddenly at the the end of the Mm -hmm. month after sort of starting a campaign and starting a movement action. I was supposed to evolve into some direct aid um, on my campus, you know, thank you. But um, I completely get how it can feel to be not only that you are out in these organizing spaces and in the community where in which literally like 
the things that we talk about, about like feeling uncomfortable um, dressing in a non-binary or, or trans way and, and sort of, you know, quote, quote unquote, whether you pass or not. To be in that skin and that body, knowing that the world is going to have all these different conceptions about you and still be labor organizing and still mm-hmm. be fighting for mm-hmm. housing and still be, you know, ready to come for people with 10, 4, 2 times the following of you um, and, and hold the line about the politics of mm-hmm. what we're trying to earn as a trans community. Like that is the energy and the, for lack of a better, like mindset that I think to me, if there is a through line when it comes to the evolution from the Black rights movement in, in the 60s to sort of all the different people that have sprung up, it is that sooner or later, not just one, but a group of folks within that given community show up with a combination of legal and rhetorical strategy, as well as that sort of social and, and political and the Stokely Carmichael becoming Kwame Ture kind of way about mm-hmm. like, this is who I am, this is what I mean. And the, the fact that this makes, us, makes you uncomfortable is the point, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just really want to elevate that because, you know, coming from, like I said, 22 years old, but my mother was a child in the 60s in Georgia as these places are being discriminated and as like clan members during the day without hoods on are watching the lines of people lining up to vote. And, you know, I, I have a family that, because of property ownership, you know, just basically by luck of the cards in this, the, the late 19th century, you know, were able to vote even without having, you know, quote unquote, high school diploma and, and the ability to pass literacy tests and things. So like, I, I am literally a part of both in my American heritage and my Haitian, Haitian heritage, a direct like through line to people that have seen and been in these spaces and moments where it is so clear that not only do folks not understand you and not understand your politics, but that the active propaganda of the American right is so efficient in creating packets of dissent to the political campaigns of the progressive movements that they are ready and willing with the means and mindset to ignore you and to engage you in a way that, as Rika so beautifully pointed out, sets in the modern times of trans people or in the 80s, you know, like also trans people, but just queer men, gay men, or in the 60s, like black folks that were very clearly Panthers and revolutionary and wearing froze up as fodder. And in a position where you need to advocate for specific policy or specific um, rhetoric or specific sort of social dynamics that, you know, while all the other straight people in the room, all the white people in the room, all the other rich people at work, get the freedom to have their own sort of individual perspective on it, you are called to speak for what should the agenda be. And the beauty of a space like Calling or the SPLC or Panthers meetings in certain you know chapters or even till this day or socialist alternatives meetings it sounds like in certain chapters today, like is, is that you have the freedom to know what your politics are and know that you're playing on the same side as somebody, but at the same time, individual feelings, individual sentiments may or may not, and most likely for most of us, are not sufficient and or specific enough to what the rhetorical aims, the comms aims, the social, what should we say to our neighbors, what should I say to my boss, what should I say to my family members, sorts of aims. And the difficulty of early movements, and I think what was unique to 
particularly um, both the black movement and separately the gay liberation movement of the 60s was that you had not just one organization, but multiple organizations that were functioning with multi-state membership, with money behind it, with regular meetings, with education on top of direct aid and mm -hmm. community conversations and interrelationship that explain like the separation between the theory of these things and like, okay, how do I tell my, you know, 94 year old grandfather, like I'm queer, but not maybe not trans. Cause I know he's not going to the trans thing, but maybe he can get bisexual. Like mm -hmm. those sorts of conversations, there are few spaces like this one here in your calling on bad faith that allow folks to workshop these things. And if there is anything that feels sort of conspiratorial to me, it is the ways in which maybe it's the NAACP, maybe it's certain prominent but heavily class captured um, Black outlets of the 80s to the noughties. But it seems like the class of people that was entrusted with a specific sort of plans, like literature, like programs to maintain these sorts of structural, community-based, direct, conversational, and also participatory arms of the progressive politics not only died out, but that folks literally got rich in the neoliberal language mm -hmm. era of, you know, you got to appoint somebody that is a part of X identity group and whatever and whatever, and seem to have all of a sudden forgot how to do anything else other than put like 0.02% of their stock returns from last year into like a, a, a diaper program or you know, mm -hmm. a fund for Broadway musicians. It's like the most piecemeal, like weak, like basically like anybody with a Google account and a couple hours could figure out sorts of structures. And then you have individual independent media that's like doing the entire legwork of what used to be like chapters with dozens of members basically by themselves and with some internet interns. And I don't know what the resort or, 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 or changes other than what folks like you in the independent media space are doing, whether it be Patreon or like specific sort of platforms like Nebula or whatever else. But I really do point back to that. And I don't, I don't know if it is the fault of an activist like Esperanza or any, anybody or Kim even Iverson in, in a way, I guess, although from a very different political tradition, I think, um, I don't know where, uh, would, love to have access to these sorts of groups and people and connections, but just maybe didn't or, or don't or didn't at a formal time in their activist journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, and I, I'm wrapped quick, um, that they would love that kind of connection and just don't have it. But I think in, in whatever arena and realm it is, it just comes with all of these comms communications that we have to acknowledge that that kind of intergenerational conversation is just lost in the vast majority of people and that there's going to be until there are sort of multiple functioning independent organizations that can have their own defined agendas and these things can be workshopped like in a way that mainstream media cannot suppress we're just going to continue to sort of have these awkward exchanges and i think that is why it's so scary to see things like the new york times post or just generally even my own personal life people that i know that genuinely love me genuinely care about me 
have already done all the things that I could ask and are the things that you can ask that, you know, show somebody that you are in community with them and that they care about you and are showing up for you. And yet still, like the rhetoric is shifting. Mm. And so I think the question and the, the goals of trans people, but also specifically like trans people existing at the intersections of these other sort of more left entrenched groups, be it you know, black folks, the poor or workers in like labor union jobs, wh- whoever you, you come from, like it is our job in this moment, I think to do sort of kind of what Rika was alluding to or what I, you know, talk about with my relationship with my grandfather or any of my other family members that are, you know, religious and, and whatever and black and not queer is that like, you're going to know who I am and sometimes it'll come out loud, but like, one in every 200, not one in every 10. And for me, my litmus test for somebody that speaks for me or speaks for any intersection of my communities is not the person that's coming out one times out of 10. It's a person that whenever they come out, they're on topic. And furthermore, they understand the political campaigns and the kind of community building that we're trying to do all the time, not just behind the scenes, including in those moments when someone is clearly threatening your identity, trying to pull you out and or trying to pull you into a conversation where you call someone a transphobe that has been on the record more times than either of us knows, me or a sponsor probably, to, to say that she is not transphobe or has trans people in her life, to fall for the bait. And there is a responsibility there. And it's not one that says you're red carded and out of the game forever. But it is a flower on the play, and it is one that says to those people in that space with you, whether it's with white allies, black allies, straight allies, cis allies, or any intersection they're in, let them check you. Okay, so Michael, can you, you briefly, know? briefly tell me, because you said that your family members who love you and have demonstrated support in every, all the ways you've noticed a shift in their language. So how have you been checking them? What's, what's the approach that you've been taking? So one second. Oh, I think it's mortar. Um, generally, I do do a version of pivoting. Um, so if, if there's a, a moment specifically on um, like, like the birthing person conversation, right? Like, that is something where I'm I'm not going to spend 20 minutes in the middle of a incredible, like a historic house hearing on what we're going to do post Roe v. Wade to tell somebody like about the few hundred trans men a year that give birth. It just doesn't feel worth it to me. Not because I don't love those people and not in community with them, but because I recognize that both my material conditions and the material conditions of the cis straight family members I'm sitting next to watching bad mainstream media with are deeply affected by what's happening in the Senate hearing. And so I'm so this say, is like, so this is yeah, so, sorry, go ahead. So you're going to say like what? So, 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 so the birthing people, the thing will go up and I'm like, yeah, you know, this, this affects, um, yeah. Okay. Birthing people, whatever, but no, it's, it's women, but that to me, it, it's not that, Roe v. Wade only affects women. Roe v. Wade and and the disenfranchisement of our uh, civil rights in in its repeal and the language of its repeal is dangerous to women as much as it is to men. It is dangerous to families generally because we know uh, from all different types of structural data uh, that 
women, right, are, 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 women are not the only people that are implicated in the raising and rearing of a child. Very oftentimes, e even in the context of like a, a cis normative, heterosexual, happy Michael. white picket fence American family. Michael, Michael, you, you say know, all that? You say all that to them? That's, that's the short version? <laughs> that's the get in and out version? T, 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 T. Let me ask you this, Michael. Mm -hmm. Is some people who give birth identify as male and some people who identify as female can't give birth. But, you know, you doesn't, you know, regardless, you don't have to use that term, whatever makes you comfortable. You can still be an ally to trans people. Is that a, is that an acceptable response? Yeah, that, that works, you know, and, and right. Like I over explain cause that's sort of me. That's in me. <laughs> and that's something that the people I'm in community with also know that I over explain. So when well, no, it's not about you. It's, I don't, not, I don't think that you're an outlier in that at all, Michael, but the point I, I guess I'm making is that I, I'm, I'm genuinely asking, cause I don't know. Some people might not think you can still be an ally to trans people if you don't use that language. But what I've heard repeatedly people say, Ole said this on the episode. I've heard various trans callers on this app say the same thing. Other people might feel differently, obviously, but they're like, I've never heard of that language. You know, I'm just learning it myself. Um, you know, people are trying to do their best. You know, I, I don't expect my grandpa to say X, Y, and Z, you know. And it does feel like there's a, there's a gap between how much getting everything right matters to normal people <laughs> and how much getting everything right matters to people who may or may not be a little bit out of touch. Since you brought it up, let's go ahead and listen to, because we've been talking about it a lot, let's listen to a little bit of that Josh Howley hearing and just like break it down if we can, just a little bit. said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Okay. At this point, Josh Howley has this dumb fucking look on his face. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's, mm -hmm. he's, this is the most obviously laid trap in the world. Would that mean women? Now, I think she handles this next part, apart from having a little bit of attitude, fair enough, but apart from a little bit of attitude, she handles this next part pretty well. Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So the Excellent. 10 out of 10. Here we exactly. go, though. This isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a... Uh, we it's can recognize... All right. He got her. Immediately, she started, sort of, her head started going, her eyes started going. He said, but this isn't really a women's rights issue. And, of course, we know what's triggering about this. The whole the mm -hmm. whole conservative thing since Roe v. Wade has been to try to ca capture the libs on the fact that they refuse to say women. They refuse to say this is a women's rights issue. That one fucking tweet from Planned Parenthood, which ruined all of our lives, didn't say women in it. And therefore, this is going to be the, the, the talking point of the Republican Party. This Berkeley professor knows that. And so her brain is like losing out of her ears as he's saying this sentence out loud. Now she's about to go off in the exact wrong way. That this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh. Okay, so far so good. All right, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So the thing is, she had him. She had right. it. She said, she said this affects some people are, who are women are affected by this, but it's not exclusively women. 
she she kind of just that was done and so his question was this follow-up question was kind of dumb because he was lost he didn't really know what to go where to go from there so the core of this issue is about what the core of the issue is a women's rights issue but it also affects people who aren't women and not all women are affected that's all she had to do was basically repeat what she just said reformulated to answer josh holly and they could have gone round and round like that for a while but it would have made josh holly look stupid like he was too stupid to understand words and she could have been calm cool and collected but that's not what happened so um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence? Chum in the water. By asking yeah. whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning because so we can't talk about it because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking are you? you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people exist. Thank and that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're, they're at opening up people to oh, violence. I know it's painful. Class. You should but we all have to learn from this. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a lot you, just know. from this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Yep. Um, we, look, we all have to learn from this. Right. <laughs> we all have to and, learn and, from this, and, and it's the we all have to learn from this because it completely, the professor was was right on it, right up until, right as you pointed out, when Josh Holly threw her back to. So, what is the core of this issue? If she had just struck the next five sentences from the record, mm -hmm. where she was about to use that one in five statistic about trans people and pick a better one in five statistic about women or about people who get abortions or about, uh, I, I don't know, you, you could even then reverse bait, jo uh, reverse bait Josh Hawley on Medicare funding and uh, expansion of the child tax credit and, Correct. and family payments and say, if you're concerned about, you know, the core of this issue is that it, with the repeal of Roe v. Wade, you are now putting an intense strain on our economy at multiple levels. You are now um, mm -hmm. women who make up the vast majority of our administrative staff, nursing staff, custodial uh, staff in public institutions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, name all the places where poor women work, are faced with unintended, unforeseen, and potentially uh, incriminating costs associated with seeking health care, which has been uh, the law of the land and undisputed after uh, or before the first at any time during the first trimester for 50 years and mm -hmm. she could have left it like that and then followed up with a clip of her hearing of her serving him up like that with all the other statistics and things that she wanted to clarify about trans women and that's yeah. something that like the calculus that should be behind someone that is sitting for a senate hearing that maybe i don't have or maybe rika doesn't have or maybe even esperanza doesn't have but might want whether it's an assistant, whether it's some people to bounce things around in the Slack channel, whatever it is, I expect people that get on the record in front of members of Congress to do that. And that would also thereby include sort of you in the media class, including, unfortunately, independent media who now has a much greater hand and, and is a much greater part of the acts, shall you say, um, of what we have to do. Mm -hmm. but, that yeah. is a different expectation than for everyday people. Everyday yeah. people need to think like, right. hmm, 
the the woman that's behind the counter, what if she needed an abortion today? Where is she going to go? Well, Michael, you, thanks for reminding me there was an abortion hearing. I plum almost forgot, to be honest, LOL. And thank you for calling in. I'm going to try to get, we only have half an hour left, so I'm going to try to get through a bunch more callers since we've only had two today. But thank you so much. I think that was a, a pitch perfect analysis. Awesome. Great to talk to you. Thank you. You too. All right, Alex, you definitely were in the queue last night. What's in your mind? Alex, can you unmute yourself? Yeah, sorry. Uh, app is a little buggy on iOS. Sorry about that. No worries. What's yeah, on your mind this uh, evening? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, half of what I was going to talk about already got talked about by the last two people. They did an amazing job. Uh, they did. Really exciting to hear other people saying these things. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess where I, what I have left to sort of waffle on is uh, just my own take on, you know, the show and sort of, again, you know, comms things. So I guess show-wise, I do feel like Kim represents a, a particular archetype that I've seen a lot, um, where there's somebody who, who means well, um, you know, they're, they, they consider themselves progressive or at least liberal, but um, maybe aren't terribly curious Right, they're 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 convinced they already know the things that they know because maybe they're convinced that they're pretty smart and well-meaning and that that's like counts for enough. Um, and and in the particular case of you know gender identity and especially like trans situations, um, you know there isn't as as much visibility for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which is just like a population count. Right, like not many people knowingly live around or work around or, or interact with trans people and therefore don't have like a need to be curious even. Um, and so their understanding, like what my read on Kim is, is that like they, they sort of have like a general like headlines, summary, whatever take on it. And they think, yeah, that's cool. And, you know, they, they consider themselves an ally, but like they, they don't, they're not equipped to actually like talk about it with any empathy. Um, and they can be easily sort of like trapped or step in things that just are, are very insensitive at, at, at the very least, right? Which mm -hmm. is what we saw with Kim. And, and then the response that you get from people like Esperanza, who I think is great at talking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the, a lot of the reason that you had people that liked her was they were the kinds of people that she's great at talking to. Mm -hmm. um, I think that like her audience matters uh, in that her audience is talking to people who are already on board so to speak, right? Like she's, she's there to be like uh, the, the rigid ethical idealistic backbone uh, you know, speaking to the base. Um, and I, I don't know who in the trans community counts as more of like the like friendly approachable face for the Kims of the world. Um, and I do think that this was sort of set up for failure just because once, once Esperanza starts saying things that are, you know, not, shaped in a way to be sort of friendly or encouraging of conversation, uh, Kim is going to be like hurt, right? Cause like part of her messaging and part of her style, again, this is just my read. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to say it like I, like I know what I'm talking about, mm. but you know, whatever, um, is, is like, you've hurt my sense of like, I know what I'm talking about and I'm a good person, uh, and you know, whatever. And so I now have to like go back and do all these credentials, right. Of like, I have friends in these spaces. I've said nice things. I would never be mean, which are all like topically like very good and they're good things. Uh, but like they, they don't lack a lot of like specifics or, or pragmatism. Um, 
if that makes sense, right? Like you can mean well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Quite... I, I feel. I feel like I, I'm I have a significant difference from a lot of you all about how I responded to Kim's reaction to being called transphobic. Because I got to say, I know better than to say I have trans friends. I have, you know, Jewish friends, let's say, when I was being called anti-Semitic. <laughs> right. I just shut up and logged off the Internet because I know better. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean I don't empathize with that reaction. Do you know what I mean? I think if there's a very human reaction to say, like, of course I don't hate Jewish people. Like, of course I don't hate trans people. Like, I hung out with, I date, I did it up. The people from the group that I'm being told I'm hating. Look, you shouldn't say it. Like, obviously, like, I also roll my eyes when someone says, I can't be racist. I dated a black guy. Like, I get it. But I, I also don't see it as, like, some, like, like, really difficult to grasp psychology, especially when I do think there is a punitive way to make those allegations sometimes it's just that's what it is but sometimes i think it is done punitively yeah and i don't disagree and i guess you know i i'm getting around to something here which is like just like our space as as people who like i'm i'm cis i'm straight i'm white i got all the privilege right um but like i work with many trans people on a regular Mm -hmm. day-to-day basis it's just being in tech is like that um but like what I find is like, it helps to be, what I can do is not tell people how they should talk different. Although like, obviously that's an option. Uh, it's, it's where I've had success in real life is, is mediating these things by going and talking to, and you guys have already touched on this, uh, sort of talking to them individually, right? Where, you know, you, you see that somebody in the Esperanza camp says something that is inflammatory like you, there's a way that you can interpret it where you are understanding of it um and even like from a kim perspective like i would maybe coach kim like hey when you hear these inflammatory things understand that it's like coming from this place of like maybe they're hurt maybe they're defensive and you can sort of emotionally reach out and be like hey like i touched a button let's like dig into that i'm sorry and like instead of getting defensive immediately but like sorry sidetracked uh, but where, where like the quote unquote ally can be in this space is, you know, soften the blow for Kim's Kim type Kim camp people, mm-hmm. you know, overgeneralizing and being like, Hey, I, let me help translate that thing that was inflammatory and hurtful, uh, or hard to understand or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm here with you. Like, so you can like feel psychologically safe. I'll help try to make sense of it. Maybe if you want to, like, I can go talk to Esperanza and like sort of the same thing on the other end. And it doesn't ever have to mean that they like get along, but it at least gets it to the point where like my goal for Kim, it would a Kim type person again, is like to at least not have that animosity and also maybe inspire some curiosity, right? Like mm-hmm. get Kim to the point where she feels like maybe she should dig a little bit more question whether or not she knows as much as she thinks she knows think about her language choices try to empathize etc you know that way she can start asking for those things before just like giving takes yeah i honestly think that would have been i i would love i would love for there to have been that kind of dynamic i would love to find someone who could work through that sort of a notion with kim you know and when I asked her, when I opened the episode by asking her, you know, what she thought of being called transphobic, 
you know, what she, what, you know, what she made of the accusation that she was transphobic. I kind of did hope that we were going to get into a conversation about what that meant. Yeah. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't, no one really stayed in that place. It takes a great deal of um, personal confidence and intimate, like a, like a openness to your own intimacy, vulnerability, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, to go through something like that on both, on both sides. It does. Yes. And not every, you know, like, and that's no shade to anybody, but it takes, it takes a lot for folks to be willing to walk through that and, and to trust, you know, the people whose podcasts you're on to, to manage the conversation as well. Um, but I think you're right. Um, yeah. So like, let's see what else did I want to talk about. So yeah, that it's just, it's really hard to say like what could have gone different in, in the moment, right? Like who should have done what? And I think actually like both of them, you know, have things that they could improve on, but both of them were also like in a weird spot where they were out of their element for like having a live conversation. Yeah. Um, I think what's really dispiriting is that I think having open conversations between like, let's say trans activists and people who are like not entirely on board is in itself not a regular happening. And that's, I think a shame to be honest. I, yeah. you know, me, I'll have all kinds of racist and shit. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to sit down with Andrew Sullivan and you guys sometimes are mad at me for that. But like, I, I like relish the opportunity to talk to people who don't agree with me. And mm-hmm. I, I wish, I just think there should be a little bit more of that all around, but I appreciate you calling in Alex. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I've got right. more to talk about if you want, but. I'm, I'm going to try to get through it. a few more callers tonight since we're rounding the, the corner to finality and I've got to get some rest tonight, but I appreciate you calling sure in. Thanks, Bree. All right. Have a good night. You too. Okay. I saw Gary was also in the queue last night. What's in your mind, Gary? And also guys, if you have lots of points to get to, I recommend you just try to rifle through them quickly and not linger too fast on your first point. Gary, can you unmute yourself? Gary, did I catch you by surprise? All right, I'm going to go to David. Gary, if you get it together, I'll find you in the back of the line. How are you doing, David? Hey, Bree, can you hear me? What's on your mind this evening? Hey, uh, so uh, listening to the conversations uh, that have been having that we've been having uh, here, um, I think people are misunderstanding what's going on in the right wing sphere, okay, um, and like the ability to have a debate in sort of these circles. Um, because uh, there are areas where you can do that, but there's a lot of places where you just can't um, because they're not looking for uh, debate. And that's sort of like the difference between like what's going on with like Josh Hawley and, you know, someone who's not completely disingenuous. Um, the problem is, is that like the core now of the right wing side has really gotten taken over by the crazier element. Um, and there's far more conspiracy being thrown around and far more just crap to distract people. Um, hey, and it's gotten really hey, hard to break through. Yeah. For some reason, like I can hear you, but it like clips every seven seconds or so. Like you just cut out really briefly every few seconds. Uh, Do you know what that's about? I have the app open on, on my computer. I, I just closed it. Is that better? Okay. I think so. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just um, want, want, tracking Fox News, tracking um, InfoWars and Newsmax, they're all sort of merging together at this point. 
Fox used to be a little bit more respectable, but it's now going kind of full into the conspiratorial um, realm because mm-hmm. that's what's selling. Um, and you're just seeing like this complete takeover of the sphere uh, by just a bunch of really conspiratorial people that believe in crazy nonsense. And not only do they believe in crazy nonsense, but like the leaders of those movements are manipulating people who like actually believe in stuff and they're just riling them up. Um, so I, I think we need to have a conversation about how to talk about that. Um, well, what do you mean? And honestly, I don't, I don't have, are we going to keep having like these conversations where we just um, keep like playing into traps? Like what, what, what Josh Hawley does. There's a, there's a point at which you're going to have to ignore the stuff that these guys uh, say on that regard. Like, but, he, but here's here here's the thing, David. People say that like sure. the Berkeley professor is there to give testimony at an abortion hearing. There's no ignoring a congressional hearing. I have to go on rising. There's no ignoring rising. So oh, I, I really respect people who want to just turn off the channel or whatever. But in the real world, ignoring this stuff is not making it go away. I think uh, what I mean by ignoring it is more of just like staying completely measured and like just keeping focused on your own talking points. Don't get baited into the argument that they mm-hmm. want to have. You can talk to them. Yeah. But I mean, this, so what's this the is misdiagnosis a, that you're, what, what are you saying that we're not understanding about right wing media? There seems to be this idea that you can have a conversation uh, in a way that will not trigger um, this intense response. And that's just not true. It's going to happen no matter what you say. If you if you play perfectly along the lines that they've set, they'll just make stuff up. That's that's really where we're at right now. So I really think the tactic has to be less about trying to really maneuver your speech at all times um, in order to avoid the talking points these guys get tripped up on and really just sort of plowing past them. So what do you think? Just, that, so what does that what does that look like? Uh, you can agree with basic things that they say, um, like, you know, it's saying, like, is this just a women's issue? You can you can include um, stuff like uh, male partners in couples that are involved with things, you know, even though it's kind of you know messed up. <laughs> but, oh, um, sure. Yeah, I mean, you just like you, you try and, and give throw them a little bone like that so you, you don't sound crazy but then you move on Mm -hmm. because the longer that you spend there the more they get to spin their wheels on ridiculous talking points um yeah i I think that's right yeah i mean so the the real thing is 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 to get your idea out try not to hand them a layup but don't you know like by saying something really like that's just going to play into the prejudices that they want um but also don't worry too much about how they're going to try and derail things. Just keep focused. Um, yeah, I think that's broadly in line with what we've been talking about, David. But th- yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's right. Sure. I think that's right. Okay, thanks. Thanks for calling in. Keep the faith. Thanks. Stevie, you're up next. I saw you on the line last night. What's on your mind? Stevie going once, going twice. Okie dokie. I'm going to try Gary again. He got back in the queue. What's up? Oh, sorry, Stevie. Sorry. Oh, my God. I, I you. Oh, wait. Okay. I next Did I make it work? I, 
I nexted you, but I can still hear you somehow, even though Gary's okay. in the pocket. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think the, the app is a little buggy right now. That's weird. Stevie, are you still here? Uh, yeah. Okay, Gary, well, can you do me a favor and just mute yourself? And Stevie, go ahead and ask your question. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm nervous. Uh, first time, long time. Um, definitely a big fan. And I wanted to chime in. As another one of your trans followers, I am a trans man. Oh, um, excellent. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it was such a, it was a very interesting conversation. I did have my issues with Kim, but also a lot of frustrations with uh, Esperanza kind of pivoting when you started to talk about the free speech question. And it reminded me a lot of a conversation that we were having. I came out as trans in 2008, and we were having a conversation in the early 2010s about how the gay rights movement was sort of pivoting in these liberal directions with marriage and uh, inclusion in the military. Mm -hmm. And another thing, which was hate crimes legislation. And there's a book at the time, it's called Normal Life by Dean Spade. I would definitely recommend checking out Dean Spade. He's pretty cool. Um, and the point was made that um, advocating for hate crimes legislation hands more power to the state. We know what the state is going to do with that. Mm. They are going to criminalize the same people that they always criminalize. And mm -hmm. the state will actually, you know, potentially use hate crimes legislation to a point where, you know, to the conversation we were having yesterday, if say turf becomes a slur, mm -hmm. then if in the midst of a crime, if you call someone a turf, then a trans person might end up being charged with a hate crime. It just mm -hmm. ends up absolutely the wrong direction mm -hmm. and i think this is such a parallel conversation we're having about free speech where i was just very confused that esperanza's take was to give more power to these tech companies these oligarchies that you know are inevitably going to do what they always do which is censor mm. leftists pro-palestine people trans mm -hmm. people sex workers mm -hmm. and i just i i've been very confused by that shift over time because i was involved in a very active you know queer and trans leftist community that has slowly kind of gone online and become very liberal in a lot of its ideals and yeah it's just it's just just very frustrating in certain mm. ways well i totally empathize with her and i understand like I mean, as a trans person, we go through a lot of trauma. It's not easy to be trans, but, um, you know, we do. There is a messaging issue here. I, I completely agree with that. To what do you attribute it? I mean, you see what's happening. You know, you can't yeah. turn on the TV <laughs> without seeing something, you know. It's been going on for, I mean, it's going on forever, but it's been escalating for at least since it feels like since the Biden campaign, there's administration. I'm not saying it's his fault, but I'm just saying in the last, it's filled the void of Trump or something. This is the the new preoccupation. Um, well, I would say it even existed during Trump. I would say the mm -hmm. shift kind of started happening with Trump because there was such a fear of the right that I think a lot of people who had been more principled in their leftism got pulled maybe a, a little bit more center. Mm -hmm. The Hillary Clinton thing. A little bit of that, her, yeah. yeah. The, and I also think yeah, a lot of people, we have, I mean, so many of the trans figures were online. If your only access to trans people is Twitter, like, I'm sorry, Charlotte Clymer doesn't speak for me. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> a lot of the voices are these very Libby, like, who, yeah, there's just does. this this <laughs> inability to engage with the trans question in a way that's serious and, like, 
like I will say, I feel so much more comfortable with you than with Kim. There's a way that you argue that tells me I'm in your club, you know? And that moment where Kim says, you need me, like, what if she had said, we need each other, you know, instead of that kind of dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, it was like watching, it was surreal. It was like watching avatars of your parents. Like they're so familiar, but it's not quite them. (laughs) It's like, Uh it's like I was in, what's the Jordan Peele one? Us. It's like, I'm in us. (laughs) And it's like, I'm almost with you, but something's just a little off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it was frustrating. Well, and I wonder kind of if we had pulled the thread a little more where Esperanza would have gone on the free speech question. Because I mean, it did seem like she landed on there should be more censorship and more moderation. But, you know, ultimately, I'm also a sex worker, and I'm totally free speech in part for that reason, because Mm. we are inevitably the people who get shut down, you know, when we go so hard against, uh, when we allow these tech companies to sort of censor us. So yeah. yeah well, was, she definitely wants to come back on, and I'll definitely have her back on. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I've heard her speak on other things, you know, eloquently, obviously. But just to make that pivot of, well, we should be talking about the working class, but not recognize there's sort of downstream effects of all of this that, you know, will ultimately end up affecting the people that you're trying to protect. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, the quickest way to get her back on is to have her on a call-in. I mean, I kind of want to give her the opportunity to get back on Bad Faith, but, you know, I got to space it out a little bit. But of if it's just Colin, <laughs> I can have her on, you know, pronto. Uh, so let me I'll, I'll reach out to her because um, she sent me a follow up message about coming back and I can try to schedule something sooner rather than later. And we can talk about those issues and some of this other stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. If people still have an appetite for it, because like, I do feel like this is the beginning of something that could be unpacked a little more. And maybe yeah, I would be maybe- curious. She also mentioned sort of like democratizing Twitter. I I wonder what that would look like for her ultimately, because I think the conversation about Twitter being a public utility is a smart one to have. But I oh, we should get Evan Greer. Someone in the in the Patreon chat mentioned Evan Greer would be a great guest, and I agree because she covers exactly these issues. You know, the internet Mm -hmm. stuff, and obviously is trans. So yeah, I'm 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 completely with you. I feel like I want to ask you something else while I have you here. I'm like, so I don't have to bombard just Rika with all of the trans. I'm an elder trans. Yes. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 33. Oh, my Jesus Christ. That's, I <laughs> children. Ugh, I know, I, I know. <laughs> all right. Um, did you watch the rising segment by any chance? Were you like following all that when it was happening? Um. I did not watch the full segment. I do kind of have to turn away from some of the trans conversations. I get it. I get at it. Times. <laughs> but um, I, I watched some of that. I, I watched some of that content for sure. Okay. I was just, I was just curious what your feedback on it was and, you know, how, how mean, you felt it about is, it. It's tough to not have a trans person in the conversation, but I you recognize know? you're working with the people that you have. But Well, I saw that. I just I feel we're all so. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. We're all just so messed up in this culture war stuff. It's it's like everybody's already made up their minds. Everybody's picked their side. So it's like, how do we even have this conversation sometimes, you know? Well, I, I didn't watch Rising today uh, after I didn't go in, but I remember seeing the night before there was supposed to be a trans segment, so I haven't watched it. But I did send a bunch of recommendations in the chat for guests to have on next time there is a trans segment because my biggest concern is that it's, it's less these kind of segments. 
that have the potential to go awry, even though it did. Then the segments that are about like, uh, I'm so concerned about kids transitioning and are they going to have surgeries when they're 11? And like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of segment that I really think has the potential to go off the rails because it does require like people with more substantive expertise than battling about what Twitter policies are, you know, like medical expertise and psychological expertise and expertise about what like the actual physicians recommend and clinicians recommend and what general practices and recommendations are. And so I'm really, really fearful about having to step into a segment and have arguments about that when I know that I'm not as informed as I could be. So hopefully advice was taken and that is something yeah, that will help right the ship a little. To be frank, like I don't even want to have the trans conversation. <laughs> I don't want to have the trans sports conversation. Like I'll have my little opinions about it, but it just, I don't think those are going anywhere and they're not helpful really to anybody in the movement. It's just separating all of us. Well, let me just ask you this and you can feel free to tell me absolutely no, Brianna. I don't, I don't want that. But is there <laughs> a part of you that says like, what if we just let that one go? Let, let the transport, this came up a little bit last night. Say like, obviously, Pre and the and the sub professional level, let the kids play on whatever pee wee team they fucking want to play on because who cares? It it's meaningless. And to the right. extent that in the professional level, people are like, well, they're competitive and they win prizes and this is actually a career and this has implications for cis women and da 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 da. Like that. It, do you ever do do you not want to have the conversation because on some level, like that's not the fight, like that's not the hill you want to die on, or is it because you like substantively do? You know, like, I don't like what I feel like I wish there, I guess what I want is like, I wish there were a conversation because I honestly don't know how to feel about a lot of this stuff. And I wish people who were closer to it were having a conversation more publicly. So it wasn't just a bunch of like bad faith actors passing the proverbial ball back and forth. Yeah, the conversation does end up being so charged, similar to this conversation that you had with Esperanza. Yeah, I mean, I think. It is, it's like college sports. Like, are we really talking about like swimmers at the Ivy League, like <laughs> competition? You know, it just seems like so frivolous. And so just like, like, why does this matter? You know, and, and I understand I was also a college athlete. Like I, I chose actually not to transition until I left college in mm. order to stay on my women's cross country team. Um, but it, I don't even think about it now. That was, you know. 12 years ago, like, who cares if you didn't win that one meet, you know, that's part of my opinion. But I also understand that, like, you know, I don't understand the science. I don't, I, I don't think mm. anybody fully understands the science at this point. And unfortunately, science is a place that we should all be able to come together <laughs> around, you know? Yeah, I mean, except it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a mix of, you know, people are individuals and they come to this from different places. And like we were talking about last night, there's some of these new young kids, this new generation of trans kids who are talking about like, do I have to have this kind of quote unquote essentialized view of gender to be trans? Do I have to have any kind of gen um, clinical intervention, any chemical intervention, hormonal intervention or surgeries to feel like I have to conform to what it means to be male or female. And people are processing it in different ways. People start at different ages. People have different risk safety level, you know, like, it, it does feel like a very personal, personal decision. And that is why it's so fraught. It's not like, you, you know, you, you started your period at 13 and that's when you're pregnant. And da, da, da. You know, it's not like a clean, a clean tick, tick, tick down a list like that. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, the science questions are so hard. It is, it's very confusing stuff. And yeah, anyway, yeah, that's, sorry, I mean, I'm that's not... often why I, I yeah, don't wade into it, but yeah, I, I mean, I fully. Yeah, it's not it's your job I, to answer all the like questions to... for me either. <laughs> well, and I would like to be able to have the conversation, but it is, it's just so hard to have the conversation in good faith. <laughs> yeah. with people about these things, including with trans people, because I would feel like even if I maybe sometimes even minorly felt like there is an advantage for trans women, there are some people within the community who will just completely be like, you're out, like <laughs> you know, like yeah. you don't agree with us, you're out. There is a lot of that, which is why I don't really hang out in trans leftist spaces online anymore. Because that well, that's kind of a bummer. But... <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> well, no, no, but I hang out with trans people in the real world, and a lot of these conversations go very differently because you're not, you know. Yeah, but what the hell is happening on the internet? Like, come on. <laughs> I know what is happening on the internet. That's I my safe space. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and for so many trans people, it's also their safe space, you know, and so I understand mm -hmm. why so much of the trans discourse happens online, because it is a place where, especially if you're isolated, you know, you can meet other trans people and talk to them. But in, in, in a way, it does start to really radicalize people, but in a direction that feels so confusing, because it's not leftist, and it's not really liberal, it's this, it's uh, identity politics, it's a lot of it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, look, thank you for weighing in. I appreciate you letting me probe a little bit. Take <laughs> yeah, care. Thank you so much for talking to me. I, I am such a fan. I really appreciate you. Thank That's you really so sweet of you. I appreciate you listening and do keep the faith. <laughs> thank you. All right, Gary, you've been waiting in the wings. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. <laughs> what's good, Brie? I'm good. I'm I'm come see come saw. I was about to say I'm great, and then I remember I have COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're a dope talk show host, but I mean the last episode, yeah, it was you know, a little so-so. You know what I mean? But I, what I think is the issue, and I think a lot of a big theme that has come up within a lot of these discussions that you've uh, emphasized is reluctance to speak openly, mm -hmm. reluctance to be transparent. And when I think about that. And I think about what would have made the podcast more entertaining and more of, of up to your standard. It would have been more somebody like Robbie and obviously not necessarily Robbie, but like somebody who's not afraid to hurt someone's feelings in pursuit of speaking his truth. Um, I think what hurt Kim was actually Kim tripping over herself, trying to be nice. And the sad thing about it is that ironically, she still got hosed, even though she was like literally biting her tongue and like trying to be nice and trying to be polite and not really speaking openly and not challenging. I think that one of the biggest problems with the podcast is that she refused to challenge Esperanza in ways that seemed pretty obvious. That from the moment the podcast started, when Esperanza you know, did what the, uh, the woman who was being interviewed by Josh Hawley did, which was answer a more interesting question, when she pulled that tactic, Obviously, that's a, a space to, to go after her, but Kim was like, I'm not going to attack her. I'm not going to call her out for changing the subject. I'm just going to speak my you know talking points and keep the train on the tracks. But I just didn't, I don't think it, that was constructive. I think if Kim had been a little bit more um, challenging in sort of keeping her on message and keeping her to not making assumptions and not like calling her out for maybe... I think she used some ad, some ad homonyms with Kim. I think she might have referred to her as like stupid or something. Kim just was really trying to kind of be respectful. And I think that 
that hurt it. I think if you have someone on like that, to be quite honest, I think it would probably be best if you did interview them separately as opposed to um, together, because I think that's kind of where it got lost. And I think there's a lot to be learned individually from from them that really you can't get if they're trying to do battle. So I think actually the idea of kind of getting them both individually on that same topic is probably best. I don't I think that I don't think they work well together. But if you were going to have oh go no you go. no go ahead. But if you were going to have that back and forth, it would have to be somebody who does who is devoid of that you know that fear of hurting people's feelings that that you reference and a lot of quote unquote lefties or a lot of quote unquote allies. You have to find someone who's not interested in being an ally in order to have a legitimate conversation. Okay. Well, for one, I don't think that Robbie is not interested in being an ally. Although I do think that he, I think that he in this particular area is a bit more confident in his views. Yeah. Than Kim. I don't know that I would have asked Esperanza. Look, look at it from where I'm sitting. I'm asking someone who has little relate, little to no relationship with me and no reason to really trust me to come into a digital space with someone who is perceived to be, and I would argue is, <laughs> has at least been in this instance, on the hostile side of neutral <laughs> to trans people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm representing myself as someone who can moderate the conversation and protect them from actual transphobic statements. You know, but they are relying on just my representation. And I'm not, like, in the room. All I can do is try to, like, talk over people and control it the best I can. And I don't know. I have my limits in terms of what I want to ask people to subject themselves to. I felt pretty uncomfortable already just enlisting random trans people who I don't have a relationship with to come into the proverbial lion's den with Kim, much less Robbie. And I'm not trying to say that Robbie is, like, some big scary beast. If anything, I have more of a personal relationship with Robbie because I'm in the chair with him every day and I do chit-chat with him and we have, like, camaraderie. Kim's on the other side of the country, you know. I've never yeah. seen Kim in real life. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know. One, because Kim was the focus of the online backlash, I thought it was more substantive to have her on. Um, it's the same reason, also, I didn't necessarily want to have Olayami on, even though I adore her, and I think that she makes everything that she's on sparkle and more interesting. She's a big personality, and she has a lot to say. And I also didn't have confidence in my ability to I thought if I have her and Kim back together, it's just going to be a repeat of what happened on Rising. And we already yeah. kind of saw what that was. And I wanted yeah. to see something else. And so it's a delicate balance when you're trying to get these, set up these interviews to find people who are willing to stick with a thing and be nuanced and, and dig in the material and be open. That's why some guests, even though they say some things that I think are kind of wild, like uh, uh, Irony, Osei Frimpong, I like having them back because they will sit with this material and they'll deal with it. I know you guys have mixed feelings about um, Thomas Chatterson Williams, but you throw a subject at him, no matter how weird or difficult or self-implicating, and he will wrestle with it and, like, really stick in it with you. Freddie DeBoer, you can get him to get in there and have, like, really turn over something in his brain and go there with you. T from Champagne Starks, love him for that, you know? And that's why I love having them back on and on and on as repeat guests. And obviously Katie... Is the is the goat? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you you and Katie are kind of simpatico and 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 kind of being that uh, I say like the the friend with the backyard that everybody 
you know, spends their, their Saturday nights at. Like, that used to be Kim's backyard. Now it's kind of your backyard sometimes as well. Like, I can feel like you guys have that same space, but all, all the friends can just come in and have their conversations. And, yeah, I mean, I, I know where she's coming from. I know what she believes. I trust her. And that, I got to say, this was the premise of my first podcast with my best friend, Swody. Like, it, it matters to have someone with you who, when you're dealing with this difficult stuff, especially because there's, you got to build caveats into every sentence and make sure everyone understands that you're not actually saying the thing, but what if, and da, 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 da. And it can be exhausting. And sometimes you just want someone who knows, like, where you're coming from and isn't going to take your statement in bad faith. Or if you miss the wrong word or flip the thing around, it's like not going to be a huge, horrible problem. Even there was that moment during this podcast where I was trying to give the example about why I don't overuse the word racism. And, you know, Esperanza rightly was like, I would, I think people crossing the border are the best. It's like, yes, but like, obviously, <laughs> obviously we all have a great deal of empathy with people who are making, you know, border crossings. Like, Obviously, but do we have to stop the conversation and have that? Like, because what the implication is that, well, I don't like. I actually agree that they're like whatever Trump is calling them. No, I'm trying to make a bigger point here, and I and I know I know I don't expect her to trust me in that way because we don't have a relationship. But conversations are so much easier and smoother when you do have a relationship and you can just like get the point out (laughs) without it having to be all of this like tiptoeing. Yeah, I, I, I kind of cringe when she made that point. That was that was on, that was kind of like a Twitter level retort. I was like, "Come on, are you kidding me? Are you really gonna nitpick like that?" Of course, you you know what she means. She's not saying, "Oh, technically they're not sending their best." And I think she knew that. Like I said, I think she was just kind of picking the nits. But I think there's one important thing from that rising uh, segment that has mm-hmm. sort of been lost in all this, and I actually think it's the most important element to the discussion and, and to the themes involved, and that's the Jordan Peterson of it all. Like mm. Literally, like the whole thing was about Jordan Peterson and where he stands. And funny enough, I, there was a call-in show about a week ago mm-hmm. that I checked out. And it was like 15 people in the room. So I was like, let me jump in this. And it was literally a like Jordan Peterson stand show where it was like, call in and tell us why Jordan Peterson is so important to the culture mm. and how he's been so important since he's come on the scene. And to be quite honest, what I thought is what, makes him so important is the fact that we're, that he emphasizes the importance of free speech above hurting people's feelings, which I think is part of what you guys got at, at your, uh, during the, the podcast. And I think you uh, articulated that so well when you talk about the tension between, you know, sort of being an ally and sort of maintaining a principal stance for free speech. Uh, that's essentially important. And he's, he got hate because not because, saying that free speech is more important and not hurting people's feelings is a bad thing, but because many of the activists who are against him are anti-free speech. And I think that's one of the most important things that kind of gets glossed over because a lot of people in lefty media want to be allies with those activists. So they sort of forget or not notice that they're actually very anti-free speech, which is kind of sacrosanct to a free society. And it's sort of like, wait, hold on. You have to make sure you understand who you're in bed with. And sometimes you got to make sure that on principle, you're actually giving people like Jordan Peterson a fair shake, as well as his his detractors. Because if yeah. you're not giving him a, him a fair shake, most likely you're not giving his detractors a fair shake, and you're not really giving a close examination to the things they're saying, which are completely anathema to free black people 
and free people in general into a free working class. Yeah, maybe it's, of- yeah, maybe it's worth doing a thing on Jordan Peterson the way we kind of did a Tucker Carlson episode because I remember back in the early days of Jordan Peterson, before he became quite the figure he is today, before all the like transphobic stuff, when there was some plausible deniability about who he was as a person, he was mostly just... I mean, the trans stuff was from the beginning. Obviously, the whole reason he became famous is because of his not wanting to do respect pronouns or whatever. I shouldn't even frame it like that or I'll lose credibility with people who like him. Because it's not true. Yeah, he argued. He argued. Yeah. Well, he doesn't anymore. He fully was dead naming, you know, Elliot Page just for shits and giggles. And and if you listen to the recent interview he did with Kyle Kalinske, he referred to Elliot by the dead name repeatedly over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> so whatever he was doing before is out the window. But the um, originally it was some objection he made what to University of Toronto's policy with respect to what faculty were supposed to do with trans students. Or something. I forget what it was. But like it, it was technically you could argue it was one of these like free speech debate things. Like I should be able to do what I want. Okay. But then he becomes this big public figure and is all this other stuff. But sometime in that, the early days he did an interview with someone on some British TV channel. And she came to him with a huge chip on her shoulder. She obviously had in her mind who Jordan Peterson was. She didn't like it. And she clearly set out to embarrass him in this interview. The problem was that she was not as smart as Jordan Peterson. (laughs) While I substantively agreed with probably the reasons why she didn't like Jordan Peterson, she ended up like teeing up for him to destroy her in a way that was like a real viral moment for him and helped really expand his fan base. As I remember it, that was one of the first times a lot of people were clued into who this guy even really was. He destroyed this smug lib woman (laughs) on TV. And honestly, I found myself rooting for him in the exchange just because she was so, mean spirited to him and i think as a host like that's just irresponsible you're not supposed to do it like that anyway what well, why is that why did you name your show bad faith by the way uh i wanted to call it good faith and you know virgil thought it was edgier to be bad faith and he was right <laughs> no you, you know you, you, that's punk rock that's punk rock yeah i mean i think the the idea was always um that there's not enough good faith conversations being had and everyone is assuming the worst of each other. And we are going to have conversations with a level of vulnerability and good faith that is actually going to advance the discourse. So good faith, but bad faith, ironically, you know, I think it's worked out. But at any rate, like I I do think that there is a problem with, um, with those like that. He got that kind of backlash and those kinds of people kept trying to come after him. And it does kind of, I don't know. It's like a superpower. Hating on people for the wrong reasons allows them to absorb that energy from the internet sphere and become more powerful. And I do think that there would be it would be very useful to have a different kind of conversation with Jordan Peterson, just like they had with Andrew Sullivan. But there's not a lot of people who are willing to have that that kind of combo. Well, I think bravery is key. I mean, that's I think that's what I was trying to get at. That in the Jordan Peterson of all of it all. The key is not necessarily to try to, and I, when I, what I meant by ally, because my definition of ally is simply someone who co-signs everything you say. And I think that's why people like allies, because it's so, well. it's so, it's so amazing <laughs> to have a, a universal, like, you know, perpetual co-signer in, 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 in the cut. And so everyone wants an ally. But I think it's, it's, all, it's more constructive, not just to an individual, but to a society and to a culture when people are constantly, you know, becoming Socrates with each other and engaging in that type of dialectic and really, you know, 
even as an intellectual exercise, deconstructing the ideas that you believe to be the truth, you know, and, and seeing whether or not your alternative facts stand up to scrutiny. Um, I think that's that's more useful than having an ally. And that's why I don't mean ally like, um, you know, you don't want to be an ally means you are you are you have nefarious purposes. I just mean I think it's nefarious to try to be an ally. I don't think it's constructive to be well, honest. I think it's constructive to, to to be honest. And I think it's important to have honest conversations. Gary, I'm not entirely sure you can redefine ally and then. <laughs> I totally just re- redefined it. I thought you were going to go with it. And let's make fetch happen here. I don't know that you're, you can do quite that, but I do agree that there are some people whose allyship is what you've described. Most um, people call themselves allies. I like that. Trust me. I don't even know what we're supposed to do with this word ally anymore. I don't think I would ever at this point describe myself as such because it just seems so corny. <laughs> like, it just seems like a thing that it's like if you use the word ally, it's like it's what people say about classy. Have you ever heard like Southern women say, like, if you say, if you describe yourself as classy, then you're not that. <laughs> um, that's how I kind of feel about ally at this point. It's just gotten run through. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, trust me, it's, a, it's too done. It's, um, it's been around and and yeah it just doesn't it loses its meaning that's why it's important for some for us to kind of be honest about the implication because at the end of the day there's no definition but what's the context in which it's used and i think that's more important even than any prescribed definition because the definition is always going to work in the favor of the person who's kind of weaponizing the term but really pay attention to the context in which it's used and usually when people are calling you an ally they're usually just saying oh this is my you know this is the black person who always agrees with me and I'm just like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> well, look, you know Gary, I mean? I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. My yeah, mother, yeah, who told to me to get to bed early. And I'm looking Please. at this long ass cue. Look, I don't understand why I can't ever get through a cue. Okay, what if I do an experiment where I say I'm literally going to bring everybody on for two minutes each and then automatically just rapid fire next to you? How does that sound? Does that sound like no, satisfying? That's or like a waste of everybody's time? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that for, like, three callers and, like, address everything that everybody says in a row. Okay, you ready? UG, you have to 1046. Go. Hello, can you hear me? I can. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, uh, first-time caller, really like you. Um, but um, I just kind of wanted to get into the idea that, um, like, some of the stuff Kim was saying for it's, like, uh, being, like, the messaging. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, as somebody, her being an outsider and me as well being an outsider, you kind of see something different when you're not in there, right? Like, like when, because, like, for instance, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a black male, right? So when what I see in the black community, it's not what other, like, you know, what, like, what I see from black men, it's not what black women see, for instance, right? Hmm. So um, when I, so like, when I look at the trans community, I think that. They 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 want this and that they and they deserve it, you know. They deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. But the way, but it does sometimes seem that the way that they're trying to go about it and like try to re- literally restructure our entire culture inside and out just isn't working for them. Well, I'll push back on this a little bit. I don't think that. And it's a little bit of a maximalist statement about what's being done. I don't know, restructure our entire culture. But as we discussed, I do think there are parts of what some people are advocating for that does not just say 
do you and I'm going to add this extra thing. It implicates people's kind of own self definitions. Like some people really bristle about the idea of having to refer to themselves as a cis woman instead of just saying woman and stuff like that. So yeah, it does, I think, challenge people in a little bit of a different way than some other kinds of advocacy. But go ahead. Right. And I, and I agree there because like, okay, so for me, right, like I used to be like when I first got into politics, I used to be like crazy, right? Right. And slowly, slowly, I inched closer to the to the center, right? And and it's because I, I've I've actually like wanted to learn and see what people believe rather than just kind of just letting it go over my head. There's a lot of like you said, there's a lot of bad faith arguments coming out, and there's a lot of people just talking past each other and not even understanding what the other side actually believes. So when 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 people make a case for something yet they don't even understand truly what you believe they're just making that case like uh, someone had came on here and saying like well right-wing people they only want to make this point and they only want to do it this way and that the conversation is always going to be triggered for them that's not true because i would consider myself at least most more to the right right but I would be fine with having these conversations because I, I just think that the messaging is, is wrong, right? I think that instead of creating new phrases and trying to return these things legally, that we should use what's there, right? So instead of uh, saying stuff like birthing people then and trying to get away from the different, like, like initially it was just sex and gender are different, right? Mm-hmm. Why do we have to go away from that? Why can't we just go from there and say, look, now a female has this, a woman is this, right? So trans women are women, but they're not female. Why can't we do that? That doesn't make sense. Well, to Kim me. Kim brought that up on the podcast. Kim made that argument whether shifting to the word female is helpful. Although I don't know that that's going to help cis women who want are like resent the idea that they have to refer themselves any differently. Like also there's this whole, there's this whole thing where women have not wanted to be called females because it's been dis- we see it as disrespectful. Yeah. And I, and I've, I've noticed that as well. And I've like seen these women that are like more like these turfs, like, like uh, what they call turfs, right. Who are, who legitimately think that women are somehow being erased by this. And I can see their point. But it's not so pungent that they should they should be fighting against what these people want, which is just to be acknowledged, you know, just to be acknowledged that that the the way that they exist is okay. The way that they exist is good. And it's not well, look, a, a negative I, I, I thing. I kind of do you, you reminded me of a point, and I know we've gone over already, but I do kind of wish I had one of my uh trans followers here in the chat up on on tap because there was this other point i meant to bring up earlier which is there's this argument that's often made by folks that says why do i have to pretend that you know a trans person wasn't you know a different you know didn't live their lives differently before wasn't assigned a different sex at birth a gender at birth you know why do i have to pretend and sometimes that's like a bad faith i mean it's always but sometimes I think it's coming from a place of, you know, I'm just being an asshole. And sometimes it's coming from a place of, you know, am I allowed to acknowledge that the person transitioned or am I supposed mm-hmm. to pretend that they were always the gender that they now live their lives at? Right. And I've heard people engage in that conversation and immediately be called transphobic. 
But I have also heard trans people express different views on that subject. Like, oh yeah, I transitioned. I'm trans. Like, I I have did have different life experiences as cis women. I'm proud to be trans. I'm, you know, like I'm not trying to ignore the fact that I actually went through this and it was quite difficult. I have different life experiences and different challenges than cis women, and like no one's trying to pretend otherwise. And then other people are like, you know, no, everything that happened before I, I kind of don't want to talk about is very dissonant for me, and I do want to kind of. Uh, you know, do something different, something that is often described as like, people say things like, why should I have to participate in your fiction? Like people say right. things like yeah, that, right? I've like heard people say that, and, yeah. And, and that, I think that comes, some of that is, you know, just transphobia, but there's yeah. some of that that I think is coming from a place of like, well, it's, it's the Wikipedia entry that, you know, do I, do we pretend that, you know who Elliot Page was before did not exist. Yeah, do we do we do we pretend that the previous person died? Like because that's that's essentially the 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 mindset. Yeah, that that seems to be festering else that you can't you can't speak of that previous person's name because and you should that that person that person died. <laughs> like and it's like no, that person didn't die. That person still exists, but they exist in a new form. You can say that they're new in a new stage of their life, and that's fine. But I, I, I and that's why I was like, there's some things I don't agree with Kim on. But she, because it, but she does make some salient points when it comes to like uh, free speech and while we shouldn't, while we shouldn't say these things, which was acknowledged in the in the um in the segment. We should people people should be allowed to say them and not be censored for it. Yeah, that's a that's a different like that's a that's a specific argument, right? And I think that she was right on that. But I look, I just I I blew up <laughs> the two minute rule already. But I appreciate you for calling in, UG, because you raised some interesting points for us to think about. They're all now they're in the ether. And if a trans person wants to get back in line or flag you if you're in line yourself if you're in line and trans, and I'll try to come to you to. Touch on some of those spicy things that were just said. Thank you, UG. All right, All right Jonathan, you. take care. Keep the faith. Jonathan, you're up. 252. I'll give you to 255. Let's go. There was go. an episode of South Park in which all the citizens of South Park literally buried their heads in the sand. Now, this was a South Park writer's way of saying, what are we supposed to do? Just not talk about it? I think this was back in the Trump days. But you have to consider that as comedy writers, they have their livelihoods, as you do, tied up in the answer to that question. So I don't think they ever seriously considered that the answer to that question might be yes. Only trick in all of magic, Siegfried and Freud, hiding a white tiger, coins, cards, whatever, is misdirection. It is misdirection that Cambridge Analytica uses when they push things to the top of your Facebook and Twitter feed that are 1% of a problem, like Joe Biden's cursory remarks on drilling. And they're going to make you think it's 90% of the problem, 99% of the problem by putting it first and most often. And it doesn't matter what you think about Joe Biden's comments on oil drilling. The fact that you're spending your time talking about it is already a loss. I made this comment uh, when you were talking about CRT and Andrew Sullivan's interview. It was a brilliant interview. But the fact that you were talking about it and not dirty water in Flint, Michigan or Medicare for all is a loss. You got to remember the point that Nietzsche made about counterculture. Counterculture. When you find yourself as an antithesis of something, when you're against something, I'm a not that. You're its reflection. You're its shadow. But that means you move in tandem with it like a well-bred dance partner. And when it moves, you move. They're telling you what to talk about and when. It doesn't matter what you think about masks, vaccines, Confederate statues, transsexuals in sports, or Joe Biden's oil drilling. You're talking about what they tell you to talk about when they tell you to talk about it. Yeah. 
Maybe. I don't. I, I well, I would argue that Biden's oil drilling is something we absolutely should be talking about. That's not just like a distraction. To prove the point about how this conversation, us tonight, and I, it's a 50 50 shot whether I get accolades or total hate from it's about a coin flip from this audience. And I know I'm going to eat shit because it's nobody wants to believe it. We've been sitting here wasting our time. We're not wasting it. It's got very much value to pretentious navel gazers like myself. But to whom are you speaking and why? And why are you talking about this? Who told you to talk about Jordan Peterson tonight? You keep him relevant by pouncing on every little thing that he says. All you got to do is forget that he exists and you go away. And I know nobody wants to believe that. You, you even said earlier, I, you don't think those problems are going to go away by ignoring them. This is how not how they're going to go away either. And it's about the proportion of attention. Why are these people more worthy of your attention than the people in Flint, Michigan, who don't have clean water? Does Medicare for all exclude transsexual people? What are we What are we doing here? Well, I've definitely done an episode on Flint, and I've never done an episode on Jordan Peterson. I oh, mean, thank God. <laughs> so I'm, again, I just I don't know what this criticism is. I got to tell you, if you guys expect me to do a hundred percent of episodes only on the most serious topics in the world, I don't want that job. I don't uh, want that job. I, I'm a human being, and I want to be entertained. I'm not going to lie to you. And if I, if my druthers, if I really want to do the stuff that intellectually is interesting to me, we'd probably never talk about Flint, Michigan, because it's a tragedy, but it's not intellectually interesting to me. Did you get my drift? Yeah. Well, I was talking about, uh, I was on Useful Idiots earlier talking about the Middle East. I had a brother who was in the Middle East, circa mm -hmm. 2005, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how, I can't tell you how many times they flip-flopped which side they were giving guns to, Sunni and then Shia and then Sunni again and then Shia again. Why? Because it's about divisiveness. It's DVDA et impera. That's Caesarian wisdom, divide and conquer. And how you do that is you never allow anybody to lose. You keep giving guns to the losing side, which is always easily justifiable because you send a camera crew over there, you point it at the side that's losing, and it's horrific. And you sell the horror of it to the, your people back home, and they'll send guns to the losing side. But you never allow anyone to lose. You maximize the length of the conflict. You maximize the death toll. And you, it's the same thing that Adolf Reed has said about Jim Crow. You, it's about driving a wedge between people because when white and black worker, workers of a barbecue and play baseball together, the cost of labor goes up and they can't have that. So they're going to drive a wedge between people to keep them at each other's throats. And the divisiveness of this issue is the point. That's what you just, you're like the South Park comedy writers about in the Trump era. You just have to say something about it. You have to. You can't not. It's like a disease. It's your livelihood. But you're keeping things alive because they know that you like they know the South Park writers will have to say something. They're telling they're directing the conversation. And yeah. it's not about what you say. It doesn't matter what you say. I appreciate thinking that. Thinking about what they think want you to think about all the I, time. I appreciate I appreciate that, Jonathan that Jonathan. I appreciate that perspective. Thank you for calling. As fast in. as I could. No, you killed it. You killed it, Jonathan. And I will probably not continue to work at the Hill as a consequence, but I do work at the Hill right now and I don't have a choice about what I have to cover. So I this is maybe just my own selfishness, but I've got to figure out how to respond. I don't have the option to ignore it. Go ahead, John. Shoot your shot. Ten fifty seven, ten fifty nine. All right. Thanks, Brianna. Uh first time calling. Uh Actually, I am someone who uh, you have like you have kind of appeared in my in my feed. Uh, first, I saw you on Glenn Lowry, then Coleman Hughes, and uh, I was watching Rising for a long time. So, uh, I really appreciate uh, you know hearing your perspective, and I really appreciate how you are willing to engage people who don't always agree with you. And I am one of definitely those people. Um, so, uh, so thank you first of all. Um, but I guess yeah, when it comes to 
this particular segment, I saw the rising segment and I watched about a half hour of the, of the podcast. Yeah. I thought it was really unfortunate because as someone who would really like to engage and understand better about, you know, trans issues, I just feel like this particular podcast didn't really give me much to work with. It didn't seem like Esperanza was really willing to sort of, you know, engage on, on some of the larger issues. And I think that, you know, there has to be, you know, we're talking about policy, you know, and policies affect lots of different people. You know, as we were just waiting, you know, I happened to look at like a little bit of polling and, and, you know, it's pretty clear that like Americans really favor, you know, a lack of, you know, laws that would protect trans people against discrimination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but there's a difference between like that sort of policy and the things that, you know, parallels to, you know, the, to, you know, homosexuals who were really excluded from certain things and were just asking for inclusion into pre-existing rights and structures that, you know, things that were already there. And I think a lot of people, and I'll only speak for myself, but who, you know, are a little uncomfortable with how quickly things are changing and how there's doesn't seem to be a whole lot of discussion when this trans issue seems to be a little bit different because some of these things are, you know, asking for kind of different treatment than we've done before. You know, we haven't had to call people, I know directly we call people names, but you know, the idea of talking to somebody else, you know, a third person having to, you know, pronouns are not something that we've, you know, typically chosen. So I don't know, I, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced, you know, but I, I just am sort of, I guess, disappointed that there isn't more, I haven't gotten to hear more about like why that's so important. You know, there's, I definitely know that the trans community is a vulnerable one and that there are a lot of bad outcomes, but I don't hear an articulation of how dead naming or pronoun usage ties is causally linked to some of those outcomes, you know, and, and, and it doesn't seem as super obvious to me why that would be the case in all instances. That's interesting. So this came up a little bit in the rising segment too, or was it in Holly? I can't even remember now, but somebody, somebody mentioned, Oh, it was Robbie. Robbie was making the case that, that, you know, some of the statistics around trans people being more likely to be victims of violence, et cetera, had to do with the proportion of trans people engaged in the sex work industry and other kinds of things. And obviously someone coming to that from a compassionate perspective would say, well, that's why we need to have more protections for sex workers and X, Y, and Z. But it would, you know, I don't know. Is there a good faith argument that it's worth having Know, disaggregating some of the stats and figuring out what's causing what instead of leaning into the Josh Holly's language is causing violence, you know, like, you know, as a, as a broader kind of phenomenon. I mean, to answer your question directly, it's that there's an enormous amount of stigma around being trans. Trans kids are overwhelmingly disproportionately not accepted by their parents compared to other LGBTQ teens, suffer homelessness at a higher rate. I think one out of every five trans kids um, experiences homelessness at one point or another that obviously has a whole other other host of downstream effects in terms of your ability to finish your education, get a good you know a, a, a good job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and makes you vulnerable just like a lot of low income people are vulnerable. On top of the fact that because of the stigma around being trans, you're also susceptible to people who lash out at you violently when they find out who you are, especially because people can't handle the fact that they're attracted to trans people. 
And once they find out that they've been, are attracted to a trans person, that they are in fact trans, it makes them have all of these OMG, am I gay feelings that they can't handle. And then they go and they beat up the trans person. So this, this is, it's all of that. And the fact that then if you aren't using the person, you know, not using a person's chosen pronouns is another layer of disrespect to a person who's already been ostracized and feeling marginalized in all of these other kinds of ways. And it feels like the lowest possible ask. Now, it's a different kind of a thing. You know, we didn't have I'm 37 years old, about to be. And, you know, I we didn't have like, what is your pronouns when I was in college or grad school? I mean, maybe we did, maybe people did somewhere. I'm sorry if I just went to like basic retrograde institutions. I'm sure that they were much more ahead of the case at certain other, uh, ahead of the curve at other schools. But, you know, I do think there's, it's worth having a conversation about, you know, what kind of, you know, how much do you ask of a, you know, the broader public when they're dealing with something new I don't know that pronouns is the thing. That, I mean, like pronouns seems like a really easy ask. I don't know, man. I wish I had a, I just. Uh. I hear you. And listen, I, I think it is like, I don't necessarily have a problem with the ask. I just, you know, would like to know why and, and for it to be clear, you know, because I do think that it, it's disruptive. And, and, and to the point that, you know, that I think uh, you said before, the, that somebody said, you know, like, I don't want to participate, like, uh, you know, in, in your fiction. And I, you know, obviously, I think that's a, a very crass way of putting it. But, but sort of to that point, like something that I think genuine that may underlie that is just just the idea that, you know, when, when I call, when I'm talking to a third person, right, like, you're kind of out of that exchange, right? I'm, I'm describing when I talk to somebody else, when I use a pronoun, I typically am not referring to that person, I'm referring, to, I'm talking to somebody else, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just find it interesting, because you know, when I, when a per, when I'm speaking to somebody else, you know, I'm describing my experience and interpretation of who that person is when I'm trying to have an exchange with that person. So it does feel kind of invasive, you know, to, to, well, to imagine have... you're in a classroom or you're in like a, a group, you're often saying like you're at a dinner and there's three or four of you, you're going to say, you know, Mark says something and Sheila says, wait, what was that? And you're like, oh, Mark just wanted you to pass the salt. Like he just wanted you to pass the salt. Sure. You know, you, you use people's pronouns in front of them all the time. Oh, no, that's true. But I'm, I'm just saying the, the I think it's not as simple as, you know, calling somebody directly like I'd like you to call me this now. You know, you are asking someone to presumably refer to you even when they're not present, you know, as a particular thing. And, you know, I just think that I guess my point is I think this. Well, John, <laughs> John, yeah. do you identify as male? Yes. So, I mean, like, if I'm, if the next caller calls in and is like, well, I disagree with John, I presume that you would expect me <laughs> to refer to you as he. I was like, well, I think John meant he, he didn't mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Everybody, there is a social code that, of course, we refer, we, I'm going to keep calling you John. I'm not going to change your name to Jeremy. I'm not going to refer to you as she. Like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to I'm, of course, well, I'm well, again, but, but we're not talking about social code. We're talking about policy, right? We're talking about what is how we are enforcing things and what we're allowing people to say. I'm all for social code, you know. Like I don't have a problem with being polite, and I've never misgendered or dead named a person, mm-hmm. ever, nor mm-hmm. nor would I plan to. But but that's what I think gets lost is that there's the, the the difference between how should we behave in a sort of like socially responsible and caring way versus. You know, what I think is, again, a policy discussion of like, well, what should be, you know, the sort of Twitter law, right? And, and I think everybody has a stake in that discussion. 
and to kind of shut it down by saying, well, you know, you're not the impacted community, but but it's 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 everyone's speech that gets impacted and affected. And and, and so I, I think that, you know, there's two different two different conversations to be had. And and I thought this was supposed to be a policy discussion. You know what I mean? And I think it often gets lost into. Well, it. we had we had the policy. I think we had the policy discussion pretty robustly on the show. But I did want to get by, beyond that, both on the podcast and now. And I do think, look, when desegregation happened. That was a policy decision that impacted plenty of white people. There were plenty of white people who were like, well, okay, fine, fuck it. I almost would rather you fund the black schools equally. And a lot of black people wanted this too, by the way. Enforce separate but equal. Fund the black schools equally. But don't make me change where my kid goes to school. Don't make me change the clientele at my restaurant. You know, all of these, it's hard to find a policy decision that doesn't impact everyone we live in a society we live in a society <laughs> and i don't know that if we, we should start drawing the line that you can have everything you can have the rights that you're asking for and the kind of like public respect that you're asking for so long as it impacts me zero you know now i think it's a little different than saying like you have to change your own self-identity like some of the stuff where people perceive having to refer to themselves as a cis woman or people perceive like having to change, you know, Kim was making this argument about the boxes and the medical form she was handing out saying, sure. Administrating woman or whatever, you know, I don't think the administrating woman one is a problem for, personally because it's literally actually very descriptive. <laughs> like if, if the doctor is actually trying to get information about you and needs to know if you're a menstruating woman or not, it's actually, much better that they ask, are you a menstruating person than are you a woman? It's actually the, the former should have said that the whole time. Now, if they want to know if you have the whole ovaries and the kitten kaboola and stuff for other kinds of medical reasons, and they got to, you know, they need to, maybe they just have sex, male, female, and call it a day. Or I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that, I'm not a doctor. Don't ask me these questions. The point of the matter is that one doesn't bother, that doesn't bother me the least, but I understand I understand the people who are like, well, this does cause require me to do something different about how I self-describe, not just me acknowledge how you self-describe. And that's, I don't know, it's an interesting conversation for people to have that aren't me. But I, I appreciate you, your willingness to kind of engage yourself. Uh, let me not ask, accidentally call you Jeremy. <laughs> John. <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And I just, quick question. How bad did Robbie make fun of you when he found out you got, finally got COVID? I haven't spoken to him. I, okay. I put it in the Slack last night. Because I've, I've just enjoyed every segment where he's always like, everybody gets it. And you've always been, you know, this holdout. So I'm sure he's just been waiting for, you know, you've got some come up. It's Yeah, I mean, yeah. to be honest, I think I got it from the Hill. Because <laughs> okay. nobody I was traveling with last weekend, in the back of my mom and brother did not get it. Uh, the guy I've been seeing who I was with all the beginning part of this week did not get it. And the only other place that I've been literally, I got, I'm in my house and I'm at the Hill. <laughs> oh, wow. So <laughs> oh, that, yeah, I don't know. there's that. So I don't know. Is he laughing or is he somewhere coughing himself? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right. Well, thanks so much. Really. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, I'm obviously not doing a very good job at enforcing this rule, but let's try to get back on the stick. Come on, app. Why is this app glitching? Come on, app. What is my finger too sweaty? What's happening here right now? Okay, one second. Okay, there we go. It's just being a little bit touchy with me. Um, Robert, 
You're up next. It's 10, 11.09. Can you unmute yourself, Robert? Hi. Yeah. Um, can you hear me? Robert? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Shoot your shot. You have it till 11.11. Okay. Sorry. Okay. 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 I really want to respect that. I'm sorry you have COVID. Your mom is right. Sleep is so important. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I am a huge fan, um, first time, um, really Ooh, Robert, your, your connection is very glitchy. So I think. Robert, Robert, you're okay, so glitchy. I hate, I hate if Can you go to a window? this up for me. Oh, AT&T. Oh, you just cleared up a little bit. What'd you do? Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, hold on. Oh, I I stood up. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, what I said is I'm gonna. I'll be so mad if AT and T screws this up for me. But um, <laughs> so I think what I wanted to talk about was I do kind of feel I did watch the original um, Rising clip, mm-hmm. and so I was actually really happy when I saw that you were gonna have Kim on to talk to um, someone from the trans mm-hmm. community. I do. Now you work with these people, but I do. I felt watching that, that um, Robbie and Kim were not engaging in good faith arguments. They were, they seemed to be misrepresenting the issue um, by saying that, like, it was about not talking, not being able to talk about how Elliot Page went by a different name before and had. had Oh, no. Previous, Robert, previous, you, I, you got to how uh, Elliot Page, uh, Robert, after how Elliot Page uh, went by a different name before, you dropped out. Robert? Robert! Robbie! <laughs> Robert? No. Okay, okay now, now you're clear. Okay, um, now you're clear, but you after you said how Elliot any, Page went by... A, can you hear yes, me any but better? after you said... Yes, but after you said how Elliot Page went by a different name before, you cut out. So they were, they seemed, okay, so basically what I was saying is like, they were, Jordan Peterson was not trying to describe, like, Elliot Page's history. They were purposefully dead naming to deny Elliot Page's humanity and identity. And Mm. I just feel... Like, I mean, I just finished law school. I understand very much the importance of first the First Amendment. And, I, and I'm willing to have, like, discussions about what that means, particularly in a place like Twitter, which obviously this, isn't, this would not be the government um, mm-hmm. limiting speech. But this may, we could talk about maybe this is one of the exceptions where because of its size and scope where First Amendment protections do attach. But I just feel like the conversation never got there. I, I very much appreciated um, Oliami. I hope I'm saying her name right. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. okay. And I, I, I mean, I love every time that um, you and, and she talk um, always amazing discussions. And I, I just appreciated how, I mean, cause like I, you know, went to school in the nineties and early two thousands, like to grade school and high school. And so it's, it just, it, when Robbie and Kim were talking, it very much felt like people that I remember trying to be transphobic and homophobic, but couching it in politeness. 
Yeah, um, I know. I know. That's why it was so triggering. But here's here's my problem. Even if that's the case, as long as they're couching it, you guys know I say this all the time. If they're couching it and you're in public, yeah, you, you gotta give it. And like, to, to, this is like to John's point. Like, you, John's watching. You know, someone who doesn't already right. share your ideological priors is watching. So as long as they're couching it, you've got to treat it like it's good faith. I'm not saying that for regular people in the normal world. If your friend comes at you like that, if some guy on the street comes at you like that, cuss him out. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not sitting here trying to tell you to take <laughs> right. everything in good faith. But on TV, I know I, I was watching it like this is how it's going to go down. People are going to think that Olayami is being unreasonable and jumping to conclusions and calling them names and saying they're trying to say something they're not saying. And they're going to be able to say either in good faith or bad that they were just asking questions. And I know why it's triggering because so many of the I'm just asking questions right. people are just trying to get away with transphobia. They know the answer to those questions. But there's some good faith people that are, don't already agree with you, and th the rising audience is full of those folks. That's why it appeals to yeah. me to even be there in the first place. Yeah. Well, no, and I think you're – I appreciate so much that you will talk to people who disagree with you. I think you have inspired me to be much more um, open and compassionate in that regard. Um, and I – I just wonder what that segment would have been like if you were also there, because I think you could have maybe gotten, you could have sort of like sorted past um, some of the nonsense and gotten to the more substantive issues that were actually at hand in that segment. Yeah, I told the producer, my dream is for it to be me, Alimi, and Robbie <laughs> in the studio <laughs> so that I can, yeah. I get to be a little bit more of a moderator and be asked a little bit less to weigh in on every little thing. Yeah, well, I think you would, I mean, I think that would be an excellent setup. Um, and I hope the producer that you told that to um, takes that seriously, because I think that that would work out great. Um, but I, I, I know that I've, I've probably gone over my two minutes. I appreciate you having this, um, making, you know, having a bad fake episode about this. And thank you for listening to my comments. I hope that um, you don't have a rough time with COVID and that you recover swiftly. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you, Robert. And you got extra time because AT&T AT is a bitch. It's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. C-Rice? C C Cirrus, you're up next. What's on your mind? <clears throat> it's 11.16. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Okay, two minutes. I have two points. Excellent. Um, I, think, I think the discussion um, went wrong because your episode description and title and, you know, the way you started the conversation, you kind of framed it as a free speech discussion. Like, this, this episode's about free speech. But I think it's not really about free speech. I think it's about transphobia. You know, just like some people say the Civil War was about states' rights, it really was about slavery. So it was about transphobia, not really free speech. Um, and I also think you didn't really define, you didn't um, allow Esperanza and Kim to come to um, a neutrally agreed definition of transphobia, um, which would have been helpful because I think that's what it really was about. And since, you know, you know that everybody's a little bit racist, but some people are far more racist than others, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So the same goes with transphobia. Like Kim would object to being called a transphobe um, because it's like a flattened word. You know, it can run the spectrum to anybody from like a hardcore neo-Nazi to some people define it as just saying, you know, I respect trans people, but I don't think they're really the gender that they identify as. So I think those are the two issues that went wrong with um, that episode. And I wonder if you agree with my framing that it's not really about free speech, it's about transphobia. And I think the idea of it's really about this big abstract issue, which is hard to define, gives a lot of ground to maybe bad faith actors. Well, the description in title are written after the show. So oh, I see. I see. It's just a description of what ended up happening. Um, but I, I still think um, that's a fair characterization, do you think? It was mostly about free speech, like just Twitter's terms of service. You know, is that good, you know, for Jordan Peterson to get banned? Should he be banned? I think everybody agreed what he wrote was transphobic. Yes, but that's the problem. That The reason I was so... I was frustrated enough with the online discourse to want to have a whole show about it was because online people were acting as though there wasn't an agreement that Jordan Peterson was transphobic. Jordan Peterson didn't even really come up in the rising segment. Like Kim was like, I didn't even right. know about all the Jordan. I Peterson think people stuff really later. forgot about, you know, it, first it was about the Jordan Peterson tweet, then reaction to him getting banned, then the rising tweet. And I don't think Esperanza or Kim really focused on those. They kind of forgot about, those two well, reasons why but no, 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 but no, no, no. What I'm saying is that the reason I was frustrated was because people were acting like Kevin Romney said a bunch of things that I don't agree with and some things that were credibly described as transphobic. But mm. I, what I don't, I, I don't agree with is that they, that they were the fact that they wanted Twitter to not ban people for dead naming was described as transphobic. They, no, let me be more specific. Yes, I see what you mean. I, see, I understand what you mean. People were arguing that they wanted to dead name people, that they thought it, they could and should be able to dead name people, right. that they were asking why they should not be allowed to dead name people. But, That's but what the wait, Twitter we're, discourse was, as we're, opposed we're to... That, yeah, we're, doing that flat, we're doing that flattening again, because the rising segment, they were using dead naming to describe acknowledging that a trans person was assigned a different gender at birth. Um, Jordan Peterson's dead naming was i'm intentionally trying to say you are still that person you never change in my eyes and those are two different things one of, of them course. is just right and that's that's part of i think what happened mm. in all of the discussions the twitter discussion the rising discussion and then the podcast discussion people flatten the word transphobia dead naming when there's a whole spectrum you know of degree of like intent um and you know, it's pretty obvious at the one end of the spectrum that's just vicious, right? But it's not obvious. Like the point I'm trying to make to you is that all of the people who were kind of agreeing with Eliami were 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 flattening it. We're saying that Robbie and Kim wanted to dead name Elliot Page. Like that was the discourse. Mm-hmm. Kim, the, Kim, Kim Iverson right, is a transphobe. Because she personally is dying to say Elliot Page's dead name. Right. Which, whatever you think about Kim, is just a, a patently false reading of what happened in the in the segment. I agree with that. And so that that was my issue. And that's what I wanted to get into on the show. Now, could it have been a show about transphobia more broadly speaking? 
It could have been, you know, and I hope to definitely cover a lot more issues that the said might raise than just the speech issues. I personally think there's a world where, and I'm not trying to put words into Esperanza's mouth and she's allowed to say whatever she wants to say, obviously, and, and take whatever approach she wants to take. But there's a world where she says, yeah, to be honest, I agree. Or let's say she doesn't have to agree with me, but let's say, to be honest, uh, I think I, I understand where you're coming from in the speech stuff. I don't agree with it because trans people are so vulnerable, but I understand that there are some concerns about how much power we give Twitter, given that it's just a corporation and that it's not always, it's not going to be our friend. Right. But that's the two minute conversation. And then we could have moved on to some other stuff. But do you remember what Kim's response actually was? It was, we shouldn't have a TOS at all. And if anybody is really threatening, the police can handle it. I think she kind of forgets a lot of people are anonymous on Twitter. Like, I don't even think an uncorrupt, I mean, we know how corrupt and unserious the police can be. Um, and even, I think, a well-run and competent police force probably can't track down anonymous accounts threatening people without breaching privacy, you know? Yeah, well, we got there after 30 minutes of going round and round in a circle about, well, will you actually answer the question about speech? But So I don't think that ever would have come up if we had just moved off it. But yes, Kim said that. But like, right. I also don't I think... I think that's ridiculous. I think, and Kim kind of framed herself as being, oh, I'm for free speech. I'm kind of the nominative position. But, but, but wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So the, I'm not arguing that Kim isn't ridiculous, but the alternative position is that if people are really dangerous, they will get banned and then they're magically not dangerous anymore. Um, I'm not saying that people who are saying um, dangerous things online, like threatening people, etc., um, are necessarily physically dangerous, but that creates a psychological, you know, you can't threaten somebody even if you're not going to actually be violent against them. You can't say to a guy, hey, I'm going to kill you on the street, even though you're not ever going to kill him. You know what I mean? That's illegal to threaten somebody like that. Yeah. And like the terms of service are like, the, I mean, this is this is the whole conversation. And I don't want to rehash the whole conversation, but the whole conversation is right now you're not allowed to threaten people like that on Twitter and people are still getting threatened. Esperanza kept giving up examples of her friends right. who get all these attacks on Twitter. And I'm like, I'm like, I know, girl, that's why you can't trust Twitter to do shit. They're already not allowed to do the shit that they're doing to your friends and they're doing it anyway. So why are you begging Twitter to have more authority that they're clearly not going to use to save you? I think when you talk about Twitter, obviously – Twitter has a bad reputation of being inconsistent and it's um, there's interests that make it that it's inconsistently applied, which is everybody would agree on that. Mm -hmm. But I think Kim's solution was that's why we shouldn't have any rules at all. And Esperanza countered, no, I think the people should own Twitter, not some, you know, corporation. Mm -hmm. I think it should be democratically controlled. Um, And so I think we kind of ended the conversation with, Esperanza not being against free speech, she was just the speech should be controlled by the government who in an ideal society would be accountable to the people. Um, or like a publicly yeah. owned, not government right. owned necessarily. Right. But like I, I understand and I agree with Esperanza, but my point is like the fact that you want it to be owned by the people is because you see that as a coercive influence in its current state as a corporation that does not have the interest of the people in mind. So given that today it is not owned by the people, why are you arguing that today this corporation should have more power over the people? If the argument argument is it should be 
um, com- you know, publicly owned. Great. Let's talk about what, what's publicly owned. But Jordan Peterson didn't say his transphobic shit and everyone didn't rise up and say, we've got to get Twitter to be publicly owned. No, they said, Hey, Twitter, you evil corporation. Be nice to me. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, we're, we were just pushing about back against the logic, logic of expecting an institution that you know to be evil. The very reason that you want to be publicly owned is because in its current form, it's evil. Why you're asking the devil to do your dirty work and thinking it's going to work out for you. I think, um, she never advocated that. I mean, I think she gave an idealistic solution. She didn't say, I like how Twitter is being run right now. And I agree that we should keep things the way they are now. I think she wanted to go a step further. Um, but I, I agree with your point. But I think the characterization of, oh, Twitter is evil, so everything they do must be evil, is also a little, um, I think, unrealistic like just because we know twitter in general acts in bad faith this one instance of them doing something doesn't mean that is bad you understand what i mean look i i have i have presented an argument that is a legitimate argument that i don't agree with but esperanza could have easily said look i hear what you're saying but personally i think for whatever reason because trans people are under specific scrutiny specific attack because if you know because there's uh-huh. a pr battle going on right now if twitter ends up listening to us and banning people for dead naming that's a win and we should take it and we'll fight whatever other battles come down the road if twitter does something we don't like we'll fight it on a case by case basis but let's not look a gift horse in the mouth and i sure, say hey but- fair enough but the argument we were having on the podcast was not a substantive one for very many minutes because it took a long time for us to even engage the issue. Yes, I agree with that. But do you think the argument was whether Twitter should ban people for dead naming, or was it should Twitter have banned Jordan Peterson for that tweet? Because in that it tweet, was dead he, naming. He, he, it no, was, he approached it was, he approached libel. He was saying, "I know this is a criminal you, doctor." But sir, you asked me what the conversation was in the podcast. You're the right, conversation right. on the podcast was about dead naming. Now Esperanza right. could have said. And this, this is true. Could have said, well, he wasn't actually banned, one. He was suspended for two weeks. And two, it wasn't for dead naming. It was for all of the other horrible things that he said. At which point we would have a conversation about whether Twitter should do that. But, I think but that wasn't the conversation the that – I'm sorry? I think, I think Kim's answer would have been the same regardless because she doesn't believe in the TOS as a concept. Well, she maybe – Jordan Peterson should be able to call the doctor criminal and – and that's fine. But- Maybe. And Kim and I might have differed on that. But and, right. unfortunately, those were not arguments that were surfaced during the course of the podcast. But thank you for calling in, C. I'm going to go ahead and push on through this list. I appreciate Sorry. you calling yeah, in. You. Yeah, no, don't need to apologize. I, I let it go long because I was interested. Okay, Joel, you're up. What's up, Bree? How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Big fan of the show. Um, I just wanted to start with a non-political question. Sure. Do you smoke weed? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you should tune into Thursday's episode to find out. Thursday's episode? Okay. Uh, as far as my thoughts on the show goes, I ended up agreeing with both of them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to Kim for a long time, so I'm kind of biased in that direction. And I agreed with Kim when she was talking about that you need me, basically, because if I feel like politics is all about coalitions. And as far as building a coalition goes i don't feel like you're gonna get anywhere by calling people who disagree with you transphobic but i also agree with uh esperanza because she was um sorry i'm a little nervous but no, you're good. she you're was 
<clears throat> yeah, she was uh, coming back at it with, we shouldn't really be focusing on these type of issues. We should be focusing on like bigger working class type of issues. Mm-hmm. So I ended up agreeing with both of them, but I'm kind of conflicted when it comes to these type of issues because personally for me, it's like, should we even be talking about this? For me personally, whenever like trans issues came up in the past, mm-hmm. I kind of like culture war, don't want to discuss that. Mm-hmm. And it's not really important to me. So I just wanted to know, like, should I care? <laughs> I don't know. Should you care or should you in- in talk about it? Should I engage? Yeah. Should I engage more? In real life, like with normal people? Yeah, in well, real life. Well, uh, sorry yeah, to interrupt, but when it comes to speaking with my friends, like, I feel like that's why it keeps coming up because people are talking about it and it is politically relevant. And I kind of find myself coming across that same barrier every single time like oh i don't really care about these issues but then they come up like politically so then like i become more aware and we got to talk about them you know but as far as like this whole conversation goes it seems like to me it seems really insular and it feels like we're talking to our to our to our bubble of people who would already want to like discuss this you know how is it coming up for you in real life so the video that you that you um posted with the lady and uh, I think Josh Holly, a lot of people have seen that video. Like mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people who posted it like on Snapchat and I'm young, I'm nineteen, so like all my friends are young too. So mm-hmm. um but yeah, they're talking about it and pers uh, well what they say about it, they're a lot more blunt. They're not talking in political terms. They're talking, mm-hmm. oh, uh well <laughs> well, I'm from New York, so it's a little blunt. I don't know if I could curse on here. But go for it. You can curse. <laughs> personally, they're like, I don't go fuck. <laughs> That's mm. like, yeah. And they're also like, um, I feel like this turns talking about trans issues turns a lot of people off to the left in general because they think, oh, that's all the left is, you know, talking about trans issues, gay issues. And I feel like personally, I like to focus more on economic stuff, Medicare for all, um, housing, poverty. All issues that like impact me and impact everybody in the regular day lives and that's why I was agreeing with Esperanza and what she was saying but I felt like she kept dying on that hill and it makes sense because that's what the conversation was about about dead naming and all that mm-hmm. but um yeah I just find like a lot of people get turned off when we go really deep into these transgender issues you know and I don't quite know how to deal with that myself because I also kind of get turned off when it comes to, talk- to talking about it you know well, look, our friend earlier, I forget, um, was it, was his name Jonathan, who had the mm-hmm. avatar with the black and the little pixels, like a computer screen from the 90s, a screensaver. Remember screensavers, guys? Ugh, yeah, I, I get old. <laughs> You're 19. You don't remember shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he was saying, like, just don't, he said, don't engage. The, if we're talking about it at all, we're losing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that. You know, but there are these scenarios that you, you know, people, there's never a day that I wake, wake up, stretch my arms over my head and say, let's go talk about transgender things today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, but I go to work and sometimes it's on the, it's on the docket. Mm-hmm. I read the news and things are happening. I see this thing with Josh Holly, and I formulate opinions about how it could have gone better. I see people reacting to it in this polarized way where the left, the liberal left seems to be completely ignorant of how they're coming off. 
and it concerns me and it provokes me to want to think about it and talk about it. And it seems to me that talking about it with a meaningful intervention that helps it go better the next time is useful. You know, but when I'm on rising, I don't ever want to talk about it because it's being brought up. The fact that it's even being brought up, I know I've already lost. Because if I mm-hmm, defend yeah. it, if I defend her because I, I defend her political position, even if I don't defend mm-hmm. how she said it, then I am going to be considered as crazy as she sounds and I'll lose all my credibility with the audience. If I throw her under the bus or even offer a legitimate like a, a critique, like we talked about it on Rising. I, I talked about yeah. this on Rising mm-hmm. last week. I was critical of her. I have a little bit of a dirty taste in my mouth because the aggregate effect for the viewer might be, okay, Brianna still is credible because she didn't try to defend nonsense but also, this is more proof of purchase that left shit is stupid. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I like you, because you're very nuanced. You're always trying to uh, find every single angle of the situation. But I feel like when it comes to these labels, and like I feel like Kim herself gets labeled right-wing a lot, even though she's very clearly a leftist. I feel like uh, the labels transform. I feel like we should get rid of these labels. Stop using these labels, because... And stop trying to put everything into a box. Because you can't put anybody into a box. You can't put me into a box politically. I, you, I definitely can't put you into a box politically. And everybody is going to have some differing type of view. But the way that we're actually going to come together and we're going to actually organize this is, I don't care if you're transphobic or not. I don't care if you're racist or not, to be quite honest with you. I still need you to vote for my for my politics. <laughs> you know, well, you know how I feel about that. I mean, that's kind of my that's kind of my mo, and I people don't love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's not that I don't care that you're racist and I don't care that you're transphobic. It's mm-hmm. not that. Yeah, but it's like there's different goals happening and different things operating at the same time, and you know, I've been working in politics, and I'm you know. whether we're doing some kind of labor coalition building Mm -hmm. or whatever, like if I'm literally trying to get numbers, then my level of caring about what's in your heart (laughs) is very different than if I'm Mm -hmm. like on a dating app. (laughs) Yeah. I've had a lot of political jobs too. Right. On uh, on the dating app, your heart has better be 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In the, in the little organizing pool, it's like, I'm willing to overlook some things. (laughs) And once you just pull this lever or show up at this event or whatever, (laughs) we'll work on you for the long game. On the dating app, I need you pretty close to perfect out of the box. (laughs) I definitely get that. But, um, I've worked a lot of political jobs too. And like canvassing, knocking door to door and, when you speak to people and you actually knock on their doors, people say a lot of messed up stuff. Like (laughs) I spoke to one guy, I knocked on his door Mm -hmm. and he, and he answered the door and he was talking about how he calls his neighbor Chinaman. And I just, Mm -hmm. you know, you just got to brush it aside because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, I still need you to vote for the candidate that I'm canvassing for, you know? So it's like, it doesn't really, we're not sitting here like being like, Oh, you're out. You're what Jimmy Dore says. I don't want to copy him, but you're out, you're out, you're out, and then you're in. That's not yeah. what it's about. And I feel like people need to get that bigger picture. But yeah, yeah I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, I no, enjoy having this conversation. You're great, Joel. I hope you call in again. All right. I definitely will. Thanks, Bri. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, what's your um, thingy thingy from, um, oh, God, my brain. 
what's her face from Buffalo? <laughs> um, she's lovely. And she just lost because that asshole uh, ran a run in a campaign against her. And she's been on the podcast and I'm just being a complete idiot blocking her name right now. Cause it's late. And I forgot my own address earlier today. <clears throat> the point of the matter is uh, she was talking about her campaign, her left campaign for mayor of Buffalo and uh, made the same case that when she's knocking on doors, she's not always foregrounding these things. She's, you know, lesbian herself. And a lot of, she got some pushback for those remarks. I also didn't like how her remarks were kind of picked up by other conservatives and said, Oh, look, this is, you got to throw the woke shit out the window. Cause I don't think that's right either. But you know, I did in my last radar, I told an anecdote that I've told on here about how I was in the park like a month ago and this old sweet old man came up to me and was talking to me and then like randomly dropped. Uh, I'm, I didn't like Barack Obama and I was about to be like, yeah, girl, I don't like him either. And then he was like, because he's a Muslim. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> hold up. And I had to negotiate how to handle that situation. Like the world is not neat. Um, but Allende, should yeah. You so let Go me let me just get straight into it. So you know, I recently I've been finding a lot of frustration with like a, a section of the left, sort of like the AOC types. Maybe you can even lump like Esperanza in there, um, and even love Ole to death. I would kind of put Ole in this basket as well. Like. So people who constantly invoke, like, working class or, like, you know, marginalized communities and, like, at the end of the day, like, they will, they will look at, they will look at some, this conversation with Kim and Robbie and be very dismissive of, like, every point, be, be very dismissive of the point that they're trying to make, right? And, mm. like, for instance... Like, I'm trying to think of who these working class people, they think they're representing. Because, like, especially with AOC, too, it's like, you're you're a congressman from the Bronx. Do you understand how a lot of people from the Bronx communicate? Like, it's not, it, it's not very politically correct at all. So, so, like, if you're, if you can't even, if you can't even treat someone, like, if you can't be seen treating someone or put in the time to treat someone um, who has that kind of, like, who is communicating that way or has some type of abhorrent view to break it down slowly to them, right, and not be dismissive. Like, mm -hmm. how can you say that you're, like, being representative of these people? And it seems kind of, it seems kind of like an oxymoron to be, like, someone who is, you know, very, very, like, em like you know, emphasizing political correctness and yet saying you represent working class people who like if you were to if you were to put I'm almost sure if you had a graph of like usage of let's say for instance like I'm not saying there's anything wrong with like pronouns or whatever, but like usage of like pronouns, even knowing what a pronoun is, right? The, the like That's right, because our education system isn't great. I mean, half of these people mad at pronouns probably just a little bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just making um, grammar jokes. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying, if, if you had a chart, like an income chart, right? Like, I'm pretty sure the higher your income is, the more you're gonna know what a pronoun is, and the more you're gonna probably you like, you mm -hmm. know, you know, be in compliance. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. so you kind of you have to be able to engage with these kinds of like conversations and people who have these views, knowing that the people who you're trying to represent. The working, the very working class people who you invoke all the time, they probably do the same, probably much worse. So you know what I mean. Um, and I, I, I kind of thinking about this one time. Um, 
back trying to be quick back in the day when um this was like this was like a long time ago and jordan peterson jordan peterson was on an interview with and another like a gender studies professor was there too this is when trans debate like it was barely even in the zeitgeist of like a, a, reg, a regular american this is like when um caitlin jenner first came out and the this was before jordan peterson like you know sort of made his stances very well known he said something he had said made a point that i guarantee you could pull like 100 people off the street and 70 percent of them might at the time would have made a similar point and the gender studies professor didn't even want to engage mm. or like he wanted the conversation shut down right mm. and i'm like aren't you the person who is supposed to like have the time like isn't this your job to be the person to to break down exactly why it is to like the layman why whatever it is jordan peterson is wrong you know what i mean isn't it your job to engage in these conversations and so like to kind of wed the two together and end my like segment like you know there has to be some level of some level of explaining explaining what these issues are right yeah. you can't treat it as a settled matter right you have to at least come to these things with like okay i ha- i have some I might not agree with you, but I have some empathy for the fact that for the fact that you believe what you believe, and I'm trying to get you away from that. Not this is right, like you know, comply or be cast out of society. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, for sure. I think I've said before that, like I'll do, I'll use Joe Rogan, but you could also say Kim. For all that Joe Rogan is a, a flawed, imperfect person, <laughs> like all of us on this earth some more than others. He is so far to the left. <laughs> For real. For of, real. Of the average American <laughs> that if you like if you can't handle the idea of Joe Rogan, like, whoa boy, <laughs> you are at looking at an uphill battle. Cause your goal you should be starting with the idea of trying to communicate with Joe Rogan. Like that should like get yeah. your feet wet trying to understand Joe Rogan. And then maybe you have a chance with the rest of the real world. Like, and just, just to even like yeah. talking the Joe, the Joe Rogan part, like I've always like you know one time I told my grandmother that like I listen to Joe Rogan, he's like she's like that right winger because she watches a lot of MSNBC. Never uh-huh. even re- watched a Joe Rogan interview like a day in her life. That right winger, da, da, da. and I'm like I list off you know Med- Medicare for all, yada yada, uh, marijuana legalization, yada yada, and like I'm just trying to say like you might not want to characterize Joe Rogan as a leftist or like as a yeah. someone on the left right. but at at the very worst he's a regular average american he's just a guy like, yeah he's just a guy <laughs> in terms of political views at his worst he is a a random american in terms of his political views you know what i mean yeah he's just he's like every dude he's every dude like when the people i know listen to Joe Rogan and people like to pretend it's like white dudes know i'm telling you I've I've got cousins like the people and never seems to surprise me. The, the 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 through line for me, the people in my life who uh, listen to Joe Rogan is like they got a shed. <laughs> <laughs> they got yeah. a shed with some tools in it somewhere. <laughs> like they might have a white collar job, but they also like to be in their shed sometimes. They might drive a truck, but there's a shed. <laughs> and you know, they might I'm be accountant, a- but there's a shed, and they like to watch the game in their shed and drink a beer in their shed. They've got a man cave. <laughs> Maybe it's a basement, and not a shed, but that's the through line. 
<laughs> I mean, listen, I, I, I watch Joe Rogan all the time. And just, just you know, for the record, I watch Joe Rogan all the time. I'm the opposite of whatever it is you just described. Do You ha- you don't have a toolbox? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your toolbox at, Ainda? You don't, you don't have a little basement? You don't have a little beer koozie? Nope, so I'm that- a college, I'm a college <laughs> student. I'm blacky black black. I don't have tools. Like, that's because you're in college. That's why you don't have a shed yet. You'll, you'll get your shed one day. I'm day. from New York City. There is no shed. <laughs> Look, my stepfather had a shed up in Westchester. You can dream. <laughs> I guess so. All right, I don't want to take up any more of your time. No, you're great. I appreciate you. And I'm going to pull up. Eric's not my cousin Eric as the last caller because I've been trying to get to him because I know you were in the queue yesterday and I haven't called on you in a while and I don't want you to think I forgot about you and how we're not related. <laughs> yeah, I would no, I don't think that. <laughs> Thank you very much, though. Of course. So, real quick, um, the one thing I really wanted to bring up is a particular topic that that came up even during the conversation is this idea of how people and particularly with the conversation between Kim. And Esperanza and the people coming after Kim after the conversation with Olaime and viewing her as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And I issue with how the left would like there is like we all understand certain spectrum, but to some people on the left, there is no spectrum. Kim is Jordan Peterson automatically. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we cannot differentiate. Jordan Peterson from a Joe Rogan from a Kim to mm-hmm. me is worrisome. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, I would just saw a tweet where they were, t- where like someone tweeted about Russell Brand and listed a bunch of videos. And pretty much, I didn't watch the videos, but pretty much the context is now he's a far right wing, you know, nut job. And I saw I, that. Yeah, I've watched Russell Brand's videos and I'm yeah. like, this man, I've not, this man probably single-handedly did the, one of the best takedowns of Candace Owens I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. One of the best takedowns of Jordan Peterson I've ever seen. By the way, I didn't see the Jordan Peterson one, but the Candace one, he did it by, like, he was very respectful. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, he, he met her where she was exactly. and didn't try to own her and just, like, did it because he's brilliant. And he, he exactly. just asked her questions and she revealed herself. And one of the things I have an issue with what they do is, is they'll take, like for Russell Brand, they'll take certain things like his stance on the Ukraine and Russia thing. Mm-hmm. And, or his stance on the, the, the people who are anti-vax. Because he comes at these things from a place of true empathy. And to act like, like you mentioned this point when you were bringing up Kim and the free speech thing with mm-hmm. Esperanza and her not being willing to at least concede that I understand your grievances when it comes to free speech, mm-hmm. but I still think it's important that, you know, X, Y, and Z that Twitter does because mm-hmm. trans people are under attack. Mm-hmm. And he, I think Russell Brand does like when he talks about like, you know, cause even I'm pro vax. Mm-hmm. Someone believe that everyone should get vaccine. But even I admit that, the government fucked up. They mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I get mad at that because you make my job harder. Mm-hmm. And I see Russell Brand coming at people who are anti-vax and saying, yeah, you have a, there is legit, a legit reason mm-hmm. for anti-vax. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he might go too far down that line because he does have a, dis- a distrust for government. Mm-hmm. Very rooted in the left. Mm-hmm. Like his leftist belief is a natural distrust 
in some cases for the this, because I think when he said distress for government, I think he's talking about distress for uh, oligarchical, oligarchical mm-hmm. type government. Mm-hmm. And I look at all these leftist v- people who like you know Vaj or you know major minority my majority report or mm-hmm. even the Humanist Report. Where I really like the Humanist Report or even um, what's his name Daniel Dole, and I'm like. Russell Brand is not your enemy, and if you can't see the difference, and, you, and sometimes I watch Russell Brand video because I look at his video on Ukraine, and he's talking about how, you know, with the U.S. and may not be the most, you know, they may not have the most, you know, uh, uh, sympathetic and empathetic reason of why they wanted this war to happen between, you know, Russia and Ukraine. Like, yes, I believe Russia is fully responsible because they invaded. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's no grace that these channel gives to like. And I think there's some grace you can give to people like him. Mm-hmm. I think there's some grace in certain issues and topics. And you really need to focus on, like, who is your enemy? Mm-hmm. And there is a spectrum and there's a difference. And you have to come at these people differently depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, a 100%. Look, also, I just got to say, people don't like Russell Brand because <laughs> Russell Brand is so much smarter than most people. I Russell Brand, what you don't what? Sorry, I don't, I don't get why they don't see that. He is brilliant. He's been brilliant. Long before he's been on this like political video kick, he's been tearing people up. He has this interview with Mehdi Hassan, you should go back and listen to, where he yes. is <laughs> he's just, you know, I, I work with Mehdi. I have more affection for Mehdi than you guys do. I like Mehdi. Like, and he he's doing the Lord's work over there at MSNBC. Nobody else is coming anywhere close to getting the kind of segments on mainstream TV that he's getting on there. Mm-hmm. But he had some fun with Medi. <laughs> he is just a brilliant guy. I find him to be deeply empathic. Like the fact that he is able to be so spiritual and to have grown so much as a human being in the public sphere and to be so funny and charming at the same time. Like he's my like one of my number one. Him and Franny Leibowitz, I think, are my two top interview gets. <laughs> that would make my would make my year. And he gets so much views on his, and like, and I, I just wish there was, and you know, sometimes it's like, I wish other people would, other like YouTube hosts who have, you know, uh, 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 you know, um, a viewership and a followership of a certain, uh, of a certain count that could probably even talk to Russell Brand or could probably, you know, intertwine with that would give him the same amount of grace he gives his own into other people he talked to, which yeah. is. Okay, Russell Brand said this about the vaccine. Here's where I why I think he might be wrong. Right. You know, you could like it's automatically, which makes me and then one of the things that makes me want to do is like, now I feel like, wait a minute, because I don't I don't think I'm a right wing crazed lunatic. I'm anything far from it. I'm someone like workers co-ops. Hell, I'm someone like everyone, like I'm literally someone who believes you should like you should not be able to have a mansion. Yeah. <laughs> but <I believe laughs> wait. Yeah. So you, you can't really get for more far left than I can. <laughs> I'm like, there. It the, makes me think. Like, are these other channels the ops? Really? I, have I been duped and thought all along that maybe they're trying to do something? They make me may make me become a conspiracy theorist. And I'm like, wait, what? What's going on here? Yeah, man. I I, I have seen the turn against Russell Brand. I think some of it is. Jealousy. I'm sorry. 
And it's difficult for me to see that too. Cause it's like, okay, some people do well and you're a little like, why are they doing so well? But Russell Brand is so talented. It's like, how can you begrudge him this? <laughs> like, He's very talented. He was already famous. Of course, when you put those things together, he's going to have a banging YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is very frustrating to see. I mean, this is why I see someone in the chat saying this is why we have a divided left. I, I think that's right. And it, it, there, people are so quick to just do the whole takedown of the whole person instead of just engaging with the part of what they've said that you take issue with and then having a conversation about it. And it, it, it's also just more instructive. Like I remember something popped off recently on Twitter. I don't even remember what it, what, what it was, but the conversation was so lacking in substance and so full of ad hominems that I read for like an hour, just tweet threads and tweet threads, trying to understand what's going on. And I literally couldn't figure out what side I was even supposed to be on because mm-hmm. no one said anything. They were just like, you're a grifter and I hate you and you're a sellout and you're a op and you're a commie and you're the, I'm like, I, I literally can't even tell what this argument is. And it, 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 people talk about misinformation and how to, how to address it and all of that. And I would argue that just honestly, taking on the arguments that you disagree with and taking them apart like a lawyer, I'm sorry, will do so much more to create credibility with you and your audience and fight misinformation than a million czars in the world. And and before I go, the last thing I would say, this is why I found it to me, at least I found it more helpful to like push people to the left is I won't send them videos about like, you know, majority report. Uh, you know, dunking on Ben Shapiro or Bosch dunking on, you know, Matt Walsh. What I would send them, I send them the Russell Brand, Candace Onim video. Mm. I kind of, I I think want to add the Kyle Kalinske uh, chat with Jordan Peterson in there. Mm. I think I might start sending that one. And I actually send, um, who is it? Neil deGrasse Tyson talking to Ben Shapiro about trans. Oh, I've not seen that. He does a really good job. Now he doesn't talk. He's not talk. He doesn't really talk about. It doesn't go on the conversation that they had with you know should Twitter ban this and that. Mm-hmm. But just talking about in the abstract of trans people, he does a, He pretty much gets Ben Shapiro tongue tied. Wow, I gotta watch that. How did Neil deGrasse Tyson and Ben Shapiro? Also, LOL and Neil deGrasse Tyson being put forward as our tra- uh, our trans advocate here. But LOL, if he held it down, he held it down. Because he comes at, <laughs> because what he does is he comes at it from the fact of what harm does it do you? Mm-hmm. And he also, I believe in that conversation, he also brings up like, what are you trying to get at? Yeah. Like he tell he kind of asks Benjamin, like, what are you trying to get at? Yeah. And, you know, Ben Shapiro is almost kind of forced to deal with and say what he really intends to do. Right. you got to ask these people questions. They're, the right is smart. They're always asking the questions. you got to be prepared to ask them some questions back. They always want to invite you to their debates, and they've got a whole spreadsheet for you. And we've got to be better. And I'm saying this to myself as well because I don't do this enough. Be prepared to ask them to substantiate their own beliefs. When, when I sat down with Charlie Kirk, he immediately was like, his his opening volley in this debate, which he didn't say was going to be a debate like that, but never mind, was like you you think you have come here and you're you're asserting that there's a such thing as structural racism. Prove your case. And I was like, well, actually, I I came here and did no such thing. You came here and said there is no such thing as structural racism. You go. <laughs> you, like, Because I think my case is pretty obvious. Open your eyes. But you tell me why you don't think the evidence is clear. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's the way the world is. But look, 
you were a bit of a delightful note to end on, Eric. I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Thank you. And I thank all of you for joining me for our seventh hour, seven full hours of rehashing (laughs) our hour and a half long episode uh, from Monday. You guys are great. I feel much more involved in my thinking on a lot of these things. And this is not the end of this conversation. I am going to go take a nap and finish watching this terrible 2012 Joe Rogan movie that I'm watching. It's a drama. It's got Keith Ledger's ex-wife in it. I don't know why I'm watching it, but the heart wants what the heart wants. I'm going to drink some matzo ball soup that I was sent, and I'm going to nod off. I hope you guys all have a restful rest of the week, and I'll see you on Thursday.